You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 93, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. It is February 2nd, and that means Groundhog Day here in America, and I just finished watching the movie of the same name, as we do in our house every year. And, you know, I don't care much whether the chunky little dude sees a shadow or not, because I am returning to Peru in a couple of days, and it is instant summer down there on the equator. Just a little show business before we get to the episode. I want to take a moment to thank the show's newest supporter, Justin Coburn. Thank you, Justin, for your one-time donation. Much appreciated, and I really enjoyed hanging out with you in Peru last month. And of course, I want to thank all of the folks who keep the show rolling on into the future, and supporting the podcast is easy to do. You know, there's several ways to do so. You can use Patreon, or you can make a one-time donation like Justin did. Uh, But I will tell you more about how to do that at the end of the show. Well, here we go with another Origin Stories episode, recorded just a few weeks ago in Peru. Uh, By now, most of you know the drill. I sit down on the back deck of my tambo, which is my little hut, and I have a chat with folks when there's a little downtime. And on this occasion, uh, a rainy morning provided me with a captive audience, And uh, although we had to slap some mosquitoes during the sessions. So this is a three-part origin story featuring Justin Coburn, Grayson Getty, and Chris Haas. That's Chris with a K. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. And uh, this morning, it's a raining morning here in Peru, and I'm talking with Justin Coburn. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, Welcome to the Back Deck Origin Stories. (laughs) Very happy to be here. (laughs) Big fan of the show. Thank you. Thank you. I kind of uh, I knew early on I wanted to talk to you and uh, get get your um, find out what uh, how you got into all this mess. But uh, first of all, I want to we're um, we're about two thirds of the way through our our, our uh, expedition here to Peru. And uh, how how's it been for you? Uh, it's been absolutely amazing. It's exceeded uh, all my expectations thus far. Uh, it's been something I've been planning since basically. Uh, Devin put the uh, the the tours for January and February of 2024 uh, on the okay. website. So I actually happened to be looking uh, at the website when he was editing it. So I was able to uh, secure a spot, I think, in the nick of time. <laughs> yeah, because we fill up rather quickly. Yes, you do. Slapping mosquitoes here. It's uh, kind of a rainy day here. <laughs> so there's not much else going on this this, uh, this morning. So, um. Okay. Uh, and, uh, did you have a highlight for the trip or is there something that just kind of knocked you over? I think, uh, I think just coming from, uh, such a long distance from Canada, I think people, you know, they, they want to come and see a Bushmaster on this tour. Yeah. And, uh, we were successful. Yeah, we got one. Yeah, Yeah. we did. Yeah. And uh, a pretty nice one too. So yeah, it was about two meters long and, uh, Everybody seems happy. We haven't seen another one yet, but uh, we still have a few days. We could probably 
possibly get a second Bushmaster. So yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Anything else that stands out in your mind? I uh, wanted to see some of the coral snakes. Uh, so we've seen we've seen coral snake mimics. We have uh, the other night uh, on one of the hikes at Madraselva, we managed to turn up a decent sized aquatic coral snake. Yeah. So that was really cool to see. They stand out like a sore thumb, don't they? They really do. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, just on along the streams, and he was sitting there, right on a muddy bank, and uh, yeah, as they do. That's right. Yeah. yeah, just waiting to pluck a fish. That's right out of the water. Yep. Yeah, pretty cool. And uh, I guess um, as far as uh, you've been other places, I know you're uh, quite a bit the world traveler, but. Uh, was this your first time to the trop to the neotropics or? Uh, this was my first time to a South American country. Okay. I have done a little bit in Central America, mostly uh, vacations, but, uh, you know, at resort stays and that sort of thing. But uh, I've always made an effort to kind of get out and do a night hike around the resort or a little bit off the resort and start finding some stuff. So yeah. a little bit of experience with that. Every, every Harper. That's right. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. out there nodding their head like, yeah, yeah. At least try to get out one night. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah, absolutely. Myself included. Um, okay. Well, let's, let's see. Give us um, uh, a bit of a, we're going to talk about how you got into this mess. And uh, everybody comes into field herping uh, from a different angle. So give us your angle. Uh, from my earliest memories, uh, I can be remember. I remember being kind of plucked in a sandbox as a little kid and showing an interest in, you know, just some of the insects and whatnot that you can find uh, in a, in a sandbox, playing with ants, playing with beetles, that sort of thing. Uh, my first interest probably started off with insects in that regard. And uh, well, tell us where you're from too. I'm I'm from uh, born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I now currently live about two and a half hours east of there in uh, a town called Kingston, Ontario. Okay. So it's a good location. I'm less than two hours from the nation's capital. Um, I have a border crossing about 45 minutes away. And uh, like I said, about two and a half hours east of uh, Toronto. So it's, uh, it's a good kind of location to, you know, see and go to a lot of different spots in eastern Ontario. So And some access to the United States. If you That's need. right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So uh, continue uh, with your story. Yeah. So uh, as I got older, I uh, started going, uh, playing around the neighborhood. Um, there was a big park that was uh, behind my building. And I I can recall uh, there there was actually quite a bit of garbage because there was a strip plaza. Um, we had a shortcut that we used to take to get to the strip plaza and there was some garbage. And I remember uh, flipping Decay's brown snakes. Ah, Eastern garter snakes. And that was kind of, that was it for biodiversity as far as that area, but take what you can get, take yeah. what you can get. And that's what kind of sparked the, uh, the interest in reptiles and, uh, still love insects, uh, still love arachnids. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I kind of very quickly wanted to try to go out and locate all the Ontario snake species that were at my disposal. Uh, so there's 17 species and subspecies of uh, snake in Ontario. And uh, I recently finished my list off a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah. And, and there's a few hard to find. There are. Yep. Snakes, uh, snakes can be tricky in Ontario with the yep. Northern, Northern latitude, uh, very seasonal thing. You have pretty much a three to four month window to look for things. And, uh, so you, you definitely have to, uh, 
you know, learn the animal's habit habits and their habitat and when they move and when's the best time to look for them. And, uh, yeah. so I, I definitely do a lot of research on the animal and I try to, you know, pinpoint where I want to go and, and do my best to try to find these animals. And, uh, so far I've been fairly successful. So you also have this, this big interest in spiders and I'm getting up to get a, a towel to slap mosquitoes off me. Yeah, I do. Um, so back in, uh, around 2007, I, um, I, I was on a, a forum called arachnoboards and, uh, there was a, uh, a section that, um, you could basically post ads for sale for different arachnids. And I got in touch with a, a gentleman, uh, named Emmanuel Goyer. He was in the Montreal area, Montreal, Quebec. And, uh, he had some things that I was interested in buying. And, uh, I, I think that's what started, my obsession with keeping tarantulas at that point. Um, I always say that, uh, in the same kind of, you know, space that you can keep two or three large snakes, you can have 50, 60 tarantulas. So yeah. it became, uh, it became almost like a game trying to, uh, you know, looking at price lists and, and trying to acquire different species and breed them. And I would always, you know, try to buy groups of five spiderlings and raise them up and end up with a few females and a few males and, right. and, uh, try to, try to breed them. And I was successful. Um, specifically there's a, a group of tarantulas called Postotheria. They're the Indian ornamental tarantulas. Yes. Yeah. One so of my favorites. yeah, they're beautiful tarantulas. Um, and, uh, so I've, I've bred about eight or nine species of those guys and it, it got to the point where I, uh, I had a very large collection. I had a spare bedroom with about 300 tarantulas at one point. So I was breeding, I was selling, I was loaning out males for other breeding programs. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, a That's lot of impressive. work, but yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Someone's dream and someone else's nightmare. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, it's amazing how many hurt people are also into tarantulas and uh, spiders. In general, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And I've seen, uh, quite a few tarantula species here, um, Really cool to see a lot of the Pamphobetus, the the large bird-eating type tarantulas that I used to keep in captivity. It's cool to see them in the wild. Those are the ones that are mostly black, but they have maybe a rusty brown. Yeah, abdomen. I think there's two species here. I think the ones with the the rusty brown reddish hairs are the Pamphobetus petersi, and then the big jet black ones are the Pamphobetus antinus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are the ones. Those are my favorites. Yeah, they're my they're becoming my yeah. favorite too. You can hear them walking in the leaves. Yeah, when they when they get up and on their hind, on their hind legs and go, they're yeah, you know, patter patter patter. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So from there, um, uh, once I think I realized, hey, I got a driving driver's license. I can uh, I can go to some of these hot spots in Ontario to see some of the snakes that you can't necessarily see in the Metro Toronto area. Just a lot of them are range restricted. Um, so often involves going up to cottage country. Um, so Georgian Bay, uh, in the Muskoka region of Ontario is home to the, our only remaining venomous snake, the Eastern Massasauga rattlesnake. Ah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I had a friend who was into off-roading and he loved to drive. And so we took his Jeep up there in 2013 and, uh, we found our first Eastern Massasauga rattlesnake and then it was on, it was the, the quest to finish my list for all the herp species in Ontario began and, yeah. Uh, 2021 was the year I finished everything off. What was so. the hardest one to get? Uh, probably the wood turtle. Oh, the, yeah. I thought you might say, don't you have a racer? Don't the, we do have a racer, racer, but it is only on Peely Island. Uh, so it, okay. it's a very small island in the middle of Lake Erie. Um, I assisted a, uh, an up and coming herpetologist, uh, Ryan Wolf, 
Uh, he he's actually doing the work on Peely Island uh, for Blue Racers, and that's their last remaining distribution. And uh, I was able to help him in 2019 with his uh, his surveys, and we we found Blue Racers and nice. trying to determine how many are left because I think the last studies uh, indicated back in the 90s there was maybe a hundred specimens left on the island oh and we think there might be a little bit more you so think they're, they're doing okay on the island they might least? be doing okay yeah yeah we were able to find quite a few snakes that's um, a species where they they really it's just habitat their habitat's been altered and that's the reason they're not as common as they used to be that's correct yeah yeah so i would say you know it was it was uh fairly easy finding the snakes when we got off the ferry i think within the 20 first 20 minutes we lifted the first board and found a little juvenile so okay um so it didn't seem too difficult a little bit of a drive to get there but seven out yeah. seven and a half hour drive one way but uh i actually drove up to uh, uh ontario to do an island survey uh, with my uh, my friend steve marks yeah i know I, steve yeah and uh, my friend peter berg shout out to those guys uh went up there and did an island survey and got massasaugas and uh um, uh, Blanding's turtles and spotted turtles. It was a uh, and hognose snakes. It was a uh, it was really yeah. cool to help out with that. Yeah, the eastern hognose is probably my favorite snake in Ontario. I was yeah. able to locate a disjunct population about an hour and fifteen minutes from where I currently live, and and that's been fun to yeah. find those guys. Um, actually, what's what's kind of neat is that although uh, the wood turtle was probably the hardest, I actually managed to uh, get the last two turtles I needed being the, the spotted in the wood within a week of each other. Oh, cool. Which was really yeah. cool. Yeah. So it was, uh, that was a fun year. It was a good herping season and uh, felt good to finish off the list. Yeah. Uh, so now it's become uh, quite an expensive hobby because now I have <laughs> to travel, uh, you know, long distances to see new, cool, exciting well, species. What was your so. first uh, international trip? Uh, so I was, uh, slated to go to Oman in April of 2020, uh, but COVID that oh, didn't happen, yeah. uh, flight yeah. didn't leave. Uh, so that was, that was a bummer, but, uh, I, I quickly, uh, changed gears and Arizona was a place that I always wanted to go as a kid. And, uh, so let me I, stop you right here because this is, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, what was your first international trip? And it's like, oh yeah, he's, he's from Canada. So it's, it's the U S so it's, that's right. It's international. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's so, uh, yeah, I did, uh, I took some time off work and I did a 10 day trip in September of 2021. Actually it was Steve Marks that said, go after Labor Day, go after Labor Day and you can't go wrong. And, uh, so that's what I did. And, uh, I hit a couple of spots in Southern Arizona and, uh, managed to turn up some cool species and, uh, yeah, I was hooked after that. I was like, I, I want to do these trips on a regular basis. Yeah. Have you been back to Arizona since? I did. I went the following year and, uh, grabbed some targets. Uh, one, I think after the first year I was absolutely obsessed with finding a vine snake. Uh, uh -huh. I studied every paper I could find. I talked to every Arizona herper that would give me the time of day, just trying to, uh, decipher how to locate one of these animals. And, uh, the following year, I was actually successful, uh, me and uh, a fellow uh, Arizona herper, uh, Michael Ruff, uh, yeah, Michael we, Ruff. We, we managed to get down to their territory and uh, we turned one up in a tree from the car actually, which oh. was a very good spot on well his done. behalf. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah. 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 So uh, from there, I did a trip to uh, uh, the Everglades. I wanted to, uh, you know, see Florida, um, never been to the Everglades and- I uh, managed to go down there for about eight or nine days and uh, turned up about half the snake species in the region, yeah, including a beautiful, uh, what I think now when I look back, I think it was an anatheristic eastern diamondback. 
oh. um, which I believe they're known to be. There's a population of them in that area. Um, and that was really cool because that was a snake that I, I really was targeting and, and, and just, you know, driving at the right time and watching that snake basically, you know, come out of the, uh, come out of the bush onto the grass and, and knowing that if I was a minute or two, you know, later, I probably wouldn't have seen that snake. So that was a cool find. Yeah. 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 Yep. And I got a couple EDBs down there. Same, same thing. It's like. What's that coming out on the road? Oh yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, no, yeah. Kind of no mistaking them after. after That's right. One. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So and then from there, uh, last uh, last year, yeah, I guess I, I did uh, a little bit of South Texas and West Texas, uh, trying to hit the main targets there. And uh, going for all the iconic stuff right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think I think my goals are to kind of hit the hot spots around the world um, that are known for herping. Uh, try to, I feel like I'm a little late to the game in that respect. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, as I can, you know, good, get to these places and try to, uh, try to get a species count, uh, from these regions. I think when I look back to, you know, looking at Peterson field guides, uh, I, I became obsessed with range maps and what's found in what state. And so I, I think it's safe to say that I'm a life lister at heart. Okay. Well, Welcome to the club, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I get I take great pleasure from mine. So yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely yeah. a lot of fun keeping track of yeah. what you find. Well, and it gives you goals. It does. Too, right? It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I just um, some some of us like making lists, and yeah, you know, I've even gosh, when I was you know in my teens, and and just herping around Missouri. It's, it's great to have that notebook with all of those names and a check mark and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Great deal of satisfaction from a check mark. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and you've, you've done other places as well, haven't you? I have. Yeah. I did some bigger international trips uh, to Australia. Uh, I did my first trip in 2018. Uh, I have an aunt and uncle that are world travelers. They've been for the last 35 years to quite a few countries, um, especially in the Western hemisphere. Uh, they're the type of people that kind of rent a place for five weeks outside oh. of a city. They fly into the city, they rent a little, you know, Airbnb type situation. And, uh, and so they, th their next destination was, uh, Australia. And I, and I thought to myself, well, I have to get in on that. There's always that standing invite to come in and spend some time with them. So I, uh, I, uh, would manage to get a month month off, and uh, I I flew down. I flew into Brisbane, and they were staying in a little town called Kingscliff, which was just over the the new new uh, excuse me the uh, New South Wales border. Yeah, okay. uh, and uh, yeah, I spent about three or four days with them, and then I took a Greyhound bus up to the Sunshine Coast, and I got in touch with a uh, touring company called Australian Wildlife Encounters. And, uh, I booked a two week tour with them and that was, uh, uh, encompass going out to Western Queensland to the Windora area. Uh, we didn't see any inland taipans, uh, but we, uh, we did, it was, it wasn't the best time of year to go. It was actually in May, which, okay. it, you know, so we were fighting to get good temperatures, but you know, we saw some cool iconic species. We, uh, we, we, the, the tour actually involved going up to far North Queensland into the rainforest. Uh -huh. And so we, uh, we managed to see green tree pythons, which was very cool. Uh, along with, Excellent. uh, along with some of the other iconic species, uh, you know, quite a few Python species I was able to check off, um, on that tour. 
Um, but knowing that it wasn't the right time of year to go, I, I quickly realized, okay, now I got to get serious and, and go at the peak time, which was, uh, the following October. And I did a three week tour, which involved me, uh, flying into Alice Springs, which is almost dead center in Australia. Right. If you were to draw a dot and, uh, the tour started there and we went, uh, south to Cooper Petty at another shot at Inland Taipans. Didn't see one, unfortunately. Uh, and then we headed back up north. We went west to Uluru, which is Ayers Rock. Uh, and oh, yeah. we, yeah. we, uh, we got some thorny devils, which was very, very cool. Oh, very good. Yeah. 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 Iconic. The Taipan and the Thorny Devil. That's yes. what everybody wants from Australia. That's right. Yeah. So we actually saw the first Thorny Devil technically in South Australia when we were making a wear up north. And then we were actually in Uluru, uh, the, the park, basically. Uh, it's like a national park. And we were driving around and I thought I saw on the side of the road what I thought looked like a Thorny Devil. And I had Lockie turn around and sure enough, yep, my eyes were right. I saw a Thorny nice. Devil and was able to get that iconic shot with the Thorny Devil in the foreground and Uluru in the background. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. special is that? Yeah, <laughs> it was very, very cool. So you have these levels of satisfaction. Yes. You spotted it. You called it right. That's and right. And you got to take a cool photo of it. Yes. So. Yes, absolutely. Life Lister's... Uh, standpoint it doesn't get much better than that it really doesn't no <laughs> no and uh and then it was like we had kind of two and a half weeks to you know drive north to get to darwin and just hit some of the iconic hot spots up there edith falls fog dam is known for a lot of snakes specifically right. water pythons and at the end of it uh i mean after three weeks we i think we had a species count of over 125 Nice. So it very was, nice. it was a very, very good, successful trip. Lots of lizards. Lots of lizards. Uh, probably the group that, uh, well, the group that does outnumber every other group are the skinks. Right. So lots and lots of skinks. Uh, but we got frilled dragons and, you know, public parks in, in Darwin, which was cool. Oh, I got really? to, I got to witness, you know, a light misting rain. I, the males come down from the trees and, you know, they'd be on the ground and they'd be bobbing their heads and you get close and they get up on their hind legs and run to the nearest tree and, so that was nice. very cool. That was very rewarding. Everybody, that's what everybody wants when they go. They that's right. To, yeah, they want to see the animal, these behaviors from the uh, the. I can't think of the genus, uh, Clematosaurus or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, something King like that. King yeah, I, everybody yeah. wants to see those behaviors from that animal. Yes, absolutely. Apparently they don't disappoint. No, no, they don't. They don't. <laughs> uh, they were very, very cool. Yeah. So saw a few monitor species. Uh, and uh, I think at the end of it, yeah, like just between the two trips, I've seen 10 of the, I believe, 14 species of python now. Wow. Which okay. was which was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably there's nothing more rewarding than uh, on the last night uh, coming across a uh, black-headed python. Uh, yeah, last, last night to kind of see them in their range. And, uh, we ended up turning up a nice individual. So very good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you, that, that's a big country. That's a lot of driving where there are times when you're like, Whoa, this is so much driving. There were, yeah, there was long distances between the drives. Um, thankfully we had AC in the car. Uh, cause I mean, some of the hottest regions I've ever been, some of the driest, but e extremely desolate, um, I, I couldn't believe the amount of kangaroos that are, you know, really in that country. It, uh -huh. it, it would be very strange to drive more than 30 seconds and not have a, you know, troop of kangaroos bounding off the road. Um, it would be weird if we didn't have to stop wow. to do I that. I hear people so. hit kangaroos now and again too. They do. They do. Yeah. Um, unfortunately it, it is the reality of, uh, 
you know, just like any other mammal, they do get hit on roads. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, we did come across a couple of individuals that it was quite clear. Um, they, uh, th th there was nothing to do to help them. I mean, being in the middle yeah. of nowhere. Um, and so you kind of just do what you have to do to kind of end the misery. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Somebody has got to do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so will you go back? Do you, do you have unfinished I, business in Australia? I do. Yes. I, uh, one of the trips that I want to do, I, I like to think of it as I've kind of seen two thirds of the country now. So I, what I would like to do is, uh, maybe flying to like Broome, Western Australia uh -huh. and maybe do like Western Australia down to Adelaide yeah. and just kind of hit those mm -hmm. hotspots. Um, you know, with COVID, um, Australia was one of the one of the countries that was very very strict um, with their 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 policies surrounding COVID. And, yeah, you couldn't uh, travel between states even. Right. That's right. Yeah, and uh, so I I think uh, I think things have gotten fairly expensive. I know that uh, some of the tour pricing has almost doubled uh, oh, wow. since then. So that's kind of steering me away from. You know, going back to Australia right now, I'm trying to hit some of the other areas that are a little bit more affordable. Um, but uh, that's definitely something I want to do. I want to finish off that country. I know it's it's as expensive to visit as as it is the United States. Really, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Our our Canadian dollar is roughly on par with theirs. Yeah, yeah. But just in terms of, I, I don't think I would want to do it any other way. But with Australian wildlife encounters, those guys have been so good to me. Um, that, you know, I, I just like taking the thought out of driving and getting to these places and, and, and I like, you know, knowing that they're going to get me in the right spots to get me on these animals. And, uh, so I would definitely, uh, I'll definitely wait until the time is right and, and, and book with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. I haven't been yet. It's, it's coming up though. Yes. It's yes. Coming up. You have to get there, Mike. Working on some plans. So, uh, not sure when. But uh, it's definitely top of my list. So yeah, uh, I, I truly recommend it. It's uh, it's an iconic country when it comes to herps. That's yeah. for sure. And I'm not getting any younger. So <laughs> <laughs> so I need to get off my butt and get over there. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know that's talk about not traveling, having traveled earlier. It's it's tough when you're young and you're trying to carve out your life to to do that kind of stuff. Uh, yep. And I didn't I didn't start uh, international travel until I was in. Like fifty-one years old, so um, yeah. So it, it took me a while, but I had you know kids to feed and send to school and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Once the little boogers were out of the house, all of a sudden <laughs> there was uh, extra cash laying around. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's raining pretty good here now. Yeah, <laughs> we've had a lot of rain on this trip. We have. Yeah, I don't. I I don't know what to compare it to because I uh, I've never been anywhere that has been so rainy. But I figured, you know, I'm coming to the rainforest, so it's to be expected. Yeah, and we just have to uh, adapt. That's to right. It, so. Yeah, that's right. I got the I got the laundry off the line, so I should be safe now. Oh, brother. Yeah, <laughs> and we sit here talking on the deck, and I've got a bunch of laundry hanging up here, yeah. hoping to maybe not get extra wet. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> what a mess. But that's that's the reality of it down here. And it's, it's the rain brings out the herbs, so. That's you know. right. Yeah, it gets them moving, and we've seen quite a few species so far, and uh, very, very happy with the progress we've made. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. been a trip of a lifetime. We're inching closer to a hundred species now. So we are, yeah. we are. That was my, I think that was my goal was a hundred. I wanted to see a hundred. Yeah. So yeah, we were, we're, we're, we're within striking distance. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
So where have you traveled anywhere else besides uh, uh, other Australia? than uh, yeah, other than the resort uh, type things? Uh, I well, actually probably the most memorable of that is uh, I spent some time on Rotan Island, Honduras. Oh, I want to go there. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Um, and it was before I knew um about you know some of the iconic species. They have their own vine snake species there. I I didn't certainly go out and look for them, but it was kind of a night hike situation and. Uh, I managed to, uh, I don't have a good photo of it because, uh, all I had was my cell phone at the time, but I, I was basically walking, uh, close to a, a beach area. We had to walk through a little bit of a forest area, um, to get to the beach, not too far from our Airbnb. And, uh, I turned up a, uh, Rotan coral snake, which, oh. uh, I learned was, uh, a critically endangered species on that Island. Uh, awesome. so I have a, I have a kind of a crappy photo of it just the tail end going down into a retaining wall, but that's the evidence that I found yeah, it because yeah. there's uh, there's no other snake species that, uh, that looks like it on the Island. And, uh, so that was kind of cool to turn that up. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have rules with your life? Let's like, a, I don't count it if I haven't get a, if I don't get a photo. Yeah. Um, there's been so many species that I didn't take necessarily a voucher photo of, but I, I do recall seeing. So in my mind, I feel like it, it should be added to the list. Okay. Uh, I have yeah. to, my rules are, I have to be in the same hurt party. Um, the snake has to be alive or the animal has to be alive. Obviously yeah. I've, I've turned up certain species that I would love to check off, but you know, they, they weren't alive. So, same here. um, yeah, I, I, I found a yellow bellied sea snake on a Costa Rican beach once, uh, again, uh, on a resort vacation, um, but, uh, yeah, that doesn't count. So, uh, it, it has to, it has to be seen by me. Yeah. It has to be, uh, alive and in the her the same her party type thing. Yeah. That, that was kind of my, yeah. my, my rules that I follow. Not too many rules. If you get too many rules, it's, it, you, why are you even doing it? It's, That's it's right. supposed to be happy. That's it's right. It's supposed to be a pleasurable thing, right? That's right. Yeah. Brian, you know, this trip, he gets the credit for finding the Bushmaster, but I saw a Bushmaster in the wild. Yeah. So. I'm counting it. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, it, it, you have to weigh it against the, the other uh, elements of this is you you paid some money to get here. That's correct. Vacation. That's right. Uh, if you have too many strict rules, then, you know, you of course you're going to count the Bushmaster. You yeah. didn't find it, but yeah. you got to see it. You got to photograph it and, and so on and so forth. That's so, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What's in the future? What do you, what do you think? Uh, What's uh, your, okay, you, you've been there. You want to go back to Roatan or? Uh, I, I would go back to Roatan. Yeah, I had a wonderful time there. Uh, it's a great place. Uh, I think uh, I think some Mexico trips are in order. I haven't okay. done any. Uh, yeah. I, I've done some uh, tarantula expeditions uh, to Mexico in 2009. Actually, this is an interesting story. Uh, when I was basically at my peak uh, breeding tarantulas, I managed to breed. Uh, a species of ornamental spider called the goatee sapphire ornamental tree spider. It's basically a blue tarantula. Okay. And at the time, there had only been about half a dozen breedings around the world. Uh, I had an adult female. My friend Emmanuel had an adult male. And uh, basically, I, I he had lived in Mexico for 13 years. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Brachypalma genus, the Mexican red leg tarantulas. I am. Okay. So there's about seven or eight species um, found throughout Pacific coastal Mexico. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do one of these trips to see them in the wild. And, you know, he had young children and he's like, I don't have the extra funds to, to just go on a trip like this, but if we can raise the money, we'll go. 
And uh, so I, I, I went to task and I, I worked really, really hard to cycle my female and we got her mated and she had an egg sack with a hundred babies and uh, we, we sold them all. And so we had a lump sum of cash All right. and we bought GPS, you know, units and we bought some extra camera gear and flights to Acapulco, Mexico. And we had two other arachnologists flying from Europe and it was just four gringos going up and down Pacific coastal Mexico at all the type sites for these tarantulas. And we had permits for DNA sampling. So uh, when you have the permits to do that, you remove the leg of the tarantula. The tarantula regenerates its leg when it molts its skin. Okay. And uh, we were able to take samples from uh, various populations. And it took a while to do the work, but uh, there's a a genus of tarantulas called Bonatina. uh, And we were taking samples from different populations around that area. And uh, after the work was done, it was determined we found four new species of tarantula. How's that? That's just awesome. Uh, I got to tell you, Mike, there's nothing like seeing your name in a paper uh, (laughs) as a collector. It's something that can't be taken away from you. It's your kind of mark on science. And uh, that was very rewarding. Not only did we see all the, you know, red lake species, which I went down there to find, um, but we found new tarantula species. And the whole thing was funded by breeding one tarantula. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And you get to hang out with, uh, well, not just other Iraq, Iraq. Arachno nerds, I don't know what you call yeah. yourselves. Yeah. But actual uh arachnologists. That's right. You know, yes. Doing doing some good work. So that that's always Yes. That's when you're getting in deep, buddy. Yeah. 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 That was <laughs> so. I was I was very uh very blessed on that trip for sure. I was spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, but I would like to get to uh do some northern Mexico trips. I uh-huh. would really like to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe start in Arizona, hit some targets that I missed and, uh, then drive South. Yeah. Yeah. Down into Sonora. Yeah. Sonora mm-hmm. would be cool. Yeah. I would like to do that. I'd like to get on one of those trips. Absolutely. Seen a few tarantulas up in the mountains there in Sonora. Yeah. So I yeah. don't recall what they were, but they were beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Mexico has a lot of biodiversity. Uh, I think it's second only to Brazil maybe in the world. I'm yeah, not that pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just the chances of, you know, flipping a stone and finding a new spider is actually quite, quite high. <laughs> so, um, for you is when you, when you decide where to go, what, what's the, is it spiders over herps or herps over spiders? I would say in recent years, it's been about the, uh, the herps for about sure. The herps? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, you know, I, I certainly love Arizona. I want to get back down there this year. It was, or sorry, last year it was about, you know, getting to Texas and knocking that off. Um, didn't hit any targets that I, or sorry, didn't hit all the targets that I wanted. Uh, didn't get an Alterna. I wanted an Alterna, but, uh, I'll, I'll have to get back down there for that. That is not unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Usually takes I'm a few 0 tries. I'm 0 for 5. Are you? 0 yeah. for 5, eh? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Got to do at some point. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to get down there. I've, I've kind of looked at uh, maybe possibly flying into El Paso, getting to w- the West Texas, you know, kind of area where you, you herp. And uh, that's only like a seven and a half hour drive from Eastern Arizona. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe I can combine the two and, and make that happen and then maybe just do a, a Mexico trip on its own. But uh, I just want to keep doing this. I, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, I basically, I'm a correctional officer. I get a lot of time off work. They take care of us very well in Canada. And uh, so this is how I want to utilize my time is, is yeah. seeing herps around the world. Cool. Yeah. Very good. 
I uh, I, I was curious. Did you say you went to t- South Texas too? Yeah, I started off. I flew into San Antonio and uh, went down as far as Brownsville. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, made our way north. Uh, was that for spiders or herbs? Uh, it was for herbs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was strictly herbs. But I mean, just because I kept tarantulas in captivity, I go to these, you know, exotic locations and it's just, it's very, very cool to see spiders that I bred in captivity or kept in captivity in the wild. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I definitely take note of them. Definitely got to get a, a picture of those. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely about the herbs, but I'm, I'm a sucker for spiders too. So. Yeah. And I, I think there's sort of a natural progression. You, you start out capturing nature in a bottle. Yes. And then eventually you want to climb into the bottle with the nature you captured and yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I I always had large collections of animals in any spare bedroom that I had where I was living, and I did that for about twenty five years. And then it was kind of like after I did my first trip to Australia, I was hooked. I was like, okay, I would rather I think use the money to go and see these animals in the wild. You know, it that was fun, but the novelty had kind of worn off, and uh, I was kind of just maintaining my collection. I wasn't making any real breeding efforts, so. It was time. And uh, thankfully, I was able to offload a lot of my collection the summer before COVID. I think it would have been very difficult to uh, to get rid of everything when, you know, people weren't necessarily buying animals. You know, they were kind of in a pause. Yeah. 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 Phase. So I was happy that, uh, you know, that timing worked out. And uh, and then it was just waiting for the world to kind of get somewhat normal again so the travel could start again. Yeah. Well, it seems to be, uh, I don't say completely back to normal, but. Uh, and I don't think air travel is still not what it used to be. No, I think we're past the golden age of flying. Probably. That's what I say every time. Yeah, I, I think I think we are. Yeah, yeah the golden yeah. age of air travel is behind us. Yes, and now we have to sort of adapt to what we have. Yeah, um, and uh, it used to I used to like a tight layover, uh, but now I want a three hour layover. Just to yeah. Just because a three hour layover can vanish in a puff of smoke these days. That's so. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's changed a little bit, and like you say, prices for everything have have gone way up. But uh, the world's gotten kind of expensive as yeah, <laughs> yeah, as we move forward. But uh, yeah, that's another reality we have to deal with. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, well, if you got any advice for me for going to Australia, what would, what would you what would your advice be? Well, I would probably say get in touch with Australian Wildlife Encounters because I knew they you'd say that. Yeah, yeah, they they truly uh they truly take care of you. They work extremely hard. Um they feel obligated to find herps um and get you to the locations. Uh no, I don't think anyone does it better than them. I really don't. Um yeah, I truly would. I mean, if you want to do the distances, if you want to, you know, rent a car and and do that, but they take care of everything, you know, they've got the satellite phone ready. They've got you know, extra tires they've got, you know, and they know where they're going and they've been to these places. And did you, did you camp by the side of the road? That kind of thing? Some of that? Yeah, we did a bit of camping, uh, slash, you know, uh, motels. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we, we slept in swags. Um, the, when I went on my first trip in May, I, uh, I didn't pack accordingly for the weather. Uh, I think we woke up one morning and it was something like 45 degrees, uh, a little chilly, um okay yeah so um it can be cool if it's if it's off season for sure um I'm of course try the seasons to do like reversed. a november trip yes that would be a good time yeah. to go because i'm really interested in frogs too so yes yeah i want to see as many frogs yeah i have some friends there too i'm interested in visiting in various places yeah. so 
Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shape up for me, but uh, so I'm always trying to talk to people about their Australian experiences. Just yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A little knowledge about it because uh, uh, I I I think maybe I'll try to do a three week tour. Maybe my first trip a little bit. Already, I know it's the first trip. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a long distance that I feel like yeah, you have to go for at least three to four weeks. Uh, you know, to kind of make the distance worth your while. Yeah. Well, then I'm like, oh, well, New Zealand's right over there. And uh, I really want to get the Tuatera. Yes. And uh, that that's a possibility. So it's yeah. like, well, how do I work that in? And, uh, you know, it's like, well, look on the map. There's New Caledonia right over there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I just sort of spiral into, you know, this absurd yeah. fantasy where I do, do it all. But yeah. it's probably it, not going to happen. It could be expensive to get to Australia, but even when you're traveling in country too. I mean, I think I flew... I flew from Cairns to Brisbane for like 60 bucks. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's very cheap yeah. to fly within the country. And of course, I mean, if you want to go to Southeast Asia from Australia, it's right there as well, right? You can hit that yeah. area. That's what uh, amazes me. When I went the uh, first time I went over to Asia, it's like all the flights, all my interior flights from like, you know, uh, Thailand to Hong Kong and to, and to Vietnam, all those flights were like $116 or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that makes it nice. And they're, they're, they're pretty efficient at their air travel stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, in terms of Australian wildlife is whether, what was the, uh, the big one is that, was it the thorny devil or was it? Something? Uh, I, the thorny devil was definitely a big one, but I do, uh, I do have a pretty, uh, pretty cool memory um again when we were we went south to coober petty we headed north we went west uh to uluru and then we're back up north and alice springs was kind of like a good stopover point it was our last our last uh night in brettles python territory uh the centralian python and uh we uh, we managed to go out for a hike in one of the gorges that night, and uh, a beautiful five foot female draped over the over one of the gorges. Wow! Uh, I, I was told if we see snakes in that area, you know, if there's other people in the area, you can't make a huge deal about it. Okay, I made a huge deal about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was very very cool. Um, and uh, although I don't have large collections of animals anymore. Uh, when I bought my house a couple of years ago, I, uh, I told myself I would have one snake, uh, but it would be in the living room and something that I could actually enjoy, not behind a closed door where unless I'm working with the animal, I can't enjoy it. I want to see all the behaviors. And so I, I got myself a captive bred Centralian Python to kind of, okay. Yeah. It was, it's kind of, it was, it was sentimental to me. It Ties was, in. It, it was very cool. Yeah. So I think that was a very, very cool find. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Cause they have such a range, there's such range restricted in that area. So uh -huh. yeah. 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 You're in a small club. Yeah. 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 So Very yeah, that was probably my favorite memory. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we went up North, we were in the Darwin area. We managed to, uh, turn up three of the mangrove, you know, types, you know, Richardson's, uh, is it Richardson's? There's a snake called Richardson's mangrove snake, I believe. And then there's the white bellied mangrove snake. And then oh, there's yeah. the Bacadam. And we found all three species oh, cool. in the same kind of mud pit while we were trying to dodge saltwater crocodiles. So <laughs> fun. Fun. Yeah. So you got some salties. Did you get any freshies on your trip? We got freshies on the trip. Uh, we went to a, an area, a beautiful area called Edis Falls, which is known for having a healthy uh, freshwater crocodile population. And uh, there's something to be said about swimming in. Uh, 
in, in, a, in a lake knowing that there are six to seven foot freshies just down below, but they don't really, they, they don't really bother people. They don't do bother they? people. No, no. no I, think, uh, I think, I think they'll defend themselves if you get too close and they might yeah. give you a little yeah. bite, but uh, your chihuahua. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that was a cool experience. Just getting a, being able to cool off and jump in, but like, Hey, there's crocodiles in here, but it's not, it's not the one you need to worry about. Still not skinny dipping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. So Mexico is in your future. Anything else? Yeah. So, uh, I actually, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention it. I, uh, I do, I do have a deposit down for Thailand, uh, next August. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I, I guess this is a big year for me. So, uh, Peru right now, and we're going to try to get to uh, Thailand in August. I'm a, I mean, I'm sure I need to look at it more. There's other places to connect, but the two main connections in Canada are South Korea and Taiwan. And there's some stuff going on with those two countries right now that uh, I don't like surprises. I like knowing that, okay, my flight's going to happen or I'm not going to run into an issue when I connect in a certain country. So I got to, I guess, pick the lesser of two evils. You know, what's it going to look like in August? Is it going to pop off? Is it going to, is it going to be an issue? Um, well, South Korea is looking like the better option maybe, but there's a lot of noise and smoke about Taiwan, but I think it's still yeah. fairly safe to travel to. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. I, I think know. the Seoul, uh, South Korea connection is actually a better flight. It's, uh, it's, it, it's one less flight because I think I would have to connect in Bangkok and I have to, my, my starting location is Phuket. So oh, okay. I, I want to get to Phuket and, uh, yeah, I'm going to do a two week tour with another company and, uh. Yeah, I, I I I'm told that on the particular tour I'm doing, it's six locations, and they managed to turn up on their best trip, 47 species of snake, and so okay. they they're gonna they say they really really want to try for 50 on this trip, and uh, so I I'd like to make that happen. So you're going south from there? We're gonna go south from there. Yeah, I think we're hitting Trang and uh, Krabby and Satoon, and uh, I think there's another location as well, but. Uh, yeah, hopefully we can turn up some good snakes, and uh, there seems to be uh, healthy numbers of snakes down there for sure. Yeah, I I just did that. Uh, uh, what we call uh, Southern Thailand. I just did that trip last year. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, with my good friend Peter Mooney. Yeah, and um, it was a little dry, um, which I hope for your sake it's wetter, normal normal yeah. wet season. But uh, we had a pretty good time. Got five. I think five or six species of trimercerus and, uh, Oh, wow. Uh, got, uh, some, including a couple of newly described species and, uh, got, uh, Waggler's pit viper. Yeah. I, I'm Lamus. So. Yeah. I, I'm really excited to see the, uh, you know, all the, all the green viper species too, that are in the area and Priscina, you know, the vine snake that's very common yeah. down there. Yeah. You know, they just have such a crazy head and I, I'm excited to get some, uh, Decent pics of that. I'm by no means a great photographer. Every once in a while, I get lucky and get a good shot. But uh, yeah, let's take off some species. Let's get it done. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. I was happy, and I, it's my third trip to Thailand. And uh, yeah, I have a I have a company I use down there. They they only do small tours. It's called uh, Tone Ton Travel, and they just do they don't do big you know uh, entourage type trips. They just uh, do birding trips and herping trips. But uh, uh, the the guys uh, bank and and uh, Ode that we traveled with were just fabulous and uh, of course Ode is one of the eminent herpetologists in Thailand so oh wow at the same time so 
it's great to go somewhere and have uh, be be with people who can identify everything you find. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I certainly yeah. didn't know everything, but uh, yeah, that yeah. country is an amazing place to herp and just to visit. Yeah, yeah, I'm so. really looking forward to that, and and not to mention the invertebrates. They've got some cool invertebrates down yes, there. Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. So it'll be cool to see some of the uh, jungle nymphs and some of the iconic, you know, mm -hmm. stuff that you see in like. You know, there's an insectarium in Montreal, uh, Quebec, that's pretty famous. They've got a lot of species of insects and some of those species I'll actually now be able to see in the wild, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with me. And uh, uh, it's uh, been fun to get to know you and watch you have a good time down here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you having me on the show. I, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, well, once again, uh, uh, I wish you well for your your world travels ahead in this year. And so it's going to be a big year for you. It's going to be a big year. And uh, you know what? Maybe this October I can uh, do the 15-hour drive and get down to Snake Road. Well, you should because a lot of Canadians come down for, uh, you know, Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or as yeah. you call it, Thanksgiving. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Very good, Justin. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Mike. Grayson Getty, welcome to my tambo. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> don't tell uh, Matt. Don't tell Matt. To stay out of Matt's tambo. Uh, the rain is really falling this this morning, and uh, there's nothing better to do than sit out here and try to talk to you over the sound of the raindrops. I couldn't agree more. The rainforest is definitely yeah. uh, putting the rain in the forest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how's your trip been so far? Uh, this trip has been just amazing. Um, you know... I didn't 100% know what I was getting myself into getting into it. And uh, the, the first week was certainly a humbling experience, but um, this has been probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life so far. Oh, good. That's glad to hear that. Oh, okay. Uh, and it, in terms of highlights, did you... Uh, ah, so many highlights. I mean... Let's start with lowlights. Lowlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lowlights. So... Uh, uh, admittedly, I came in here uh, with a little bit of a macho man attitude thinking, you know, being from the desert that, you know, having a little bit of moisture was going to make everything easier. And uh, the the jungle let me know very quickly how wrong I was. It will kill you. It, it will kill you. And it, uh, you know, I really had to up my game on self-care and just being pace management, um, things I've never really had to think about before um so yeah the first week for me was a bit of a learning experience I, I i definitely knocked myself out uh pretty early on but uh the second half of the trip is certainly getting quite a lot better now that i've i've figured out kind of my pace and my stride and everything yeah. like that yeah uh your but, face looks much more pleasant <laughs> when it's not drawn out and pale yeah i'm, I'm definitely a, a bit more social now a bit more uh opened up uh i think th the first beginning of the trip if you didn't know me you'd think like oh god what's wrong with that guy yeah uh well i mean it, it's you want to come down here and see as much as you can as quick as you can uh for as long as you can and uh the the you you know the rainforest slaps back so it, it certainly does and you know um i'm glad that i had you know a wealth of resources of people who have been here before me who are on this trip uh that definitely made recovering um significantly better because i was prepared yeah. um but yeah i i don't think i think uh when if i do this again and i definitely need to do this again um there will be definitely a bit a different mindset going into yeah. it. Well, in the desert, you know, you're always 
you know, where you're from, it's always uh, on your mind about hydration. Um, and here it's it's kind of the same, but you also have this idea that uh, it doesn't just dehydrate you. It just sucks all the the minerals and, you know, just completely depletes your body at the same times. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting being from the desert and working there the last 10 years, uh, specifically in the extreme heat. Um, you know, you definitely kind of think like, well, it's 120 degrees. Like, if I can handle that, I can handle anything. And, you know, it you do constantly have to drink water there. But obviously in the desert, you know, at, well, I'm at home. I have a car. I have a house with AC. I have things that I can escape to. And out here in the jungle, uh, there's nowhere to really necessarily escape from the humidity and the moisture. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's not only are you always constantly having to rehydrate yourself with some sort of electrolyte, you're also just having to be very mindful of conserving energy when you can, you know, like kind of mentioned before pace management. I'm a, I'm a power walker. I like to go fast yeah. and out here, not only from the herping standpoint, do you not really want to go fast, but from just taking care of yourself, you kind of want to just, I'm going to go a little slower. You do yeah. want to go a little slower. Because and that's, there's, um, you know, out there you look in the ground. Mm -hmm. Out here, you look in the ground, you look in the bush, you look in the sky, everything, you know, you've got like a 180 degree bubble around you that you've got to peruse to, to find herbs. So, yeah. And that's, that's kind of been, I mean, really my big lesson is just kind of taking it slower and really not only enjoying all of this, cause there's just so much, but, uh, it's a, it's a different strategy entirely when it comes to herping. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, your skin looks great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel fantastic. I'm moisturized. We're doing great. <laughs> so tell me now about some highlights. Um, highlights, man, uh, so many. I think we'll start out with, uh, I think, my big one, which was uh, catching the anaconda off the side of the boat. Yeah. Um, Swat your face there. You thank you very much. Mosquitoes. mosquitoes. Yeah. Guest starring on this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, as, as we kind of just mentioned before, I had a rough start to the week. Um, I missed out on some of the other boat expeditions uh, that other people got to go on. And so um, they were going out that night to uh, release some of the boas from the previous night's boat experience. And I wanted to go out on that more than anything to get some cool air blowing past my face. Yeah, it's good. And so uh, we went out and I believe it was uh, the first boa we released. Um, they got the release done and I was looking over the side of the boat and I see a head pop up and my brain was trying to process what I was seeing. And, uh, Liz, who was in front of me, Liz Hughes, um, looked over and kind of registered too. And, uh, Louise goes anaconda. <laughs> and, uh, immediately after that it dives and we all just kind of go, ah, and maybe, I don't know, two seconds later, it, pops back up again. And in one foul swoop, I managed to grab my tongs, stick it in the water about three feet off the edge of the boat, grab the snake and uh, drop it in Mr. Pingle's lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, you're sitting in front of me mm -hmm. and uh, I see you. I could, I didn't see the snake right away, but after it surfaced the second time, I saw it and I saw you reach out with your snake tongs and it was like, poetry in motion you got it and then you came back around behind you it's pivoting 
brought it into the boat right in my face, which was perfectly fine. I, I, I have no problem with that. But it was like watching somebody, uh, you know, fishing in the North Atlantic or something and pulling in a big uh, salmon or, or tuna or something. But uh, it was it was a well, well executed. And then everybody kind of lost their mind. We had well, then we had an anaconda in the boat. And we had to kind of catch it. And uh, yeah, there was a bit of some scrambling to get the anaconda because it, it wanted out. Um, so to get it and then we all were just I mean. I I can honestly say that I, I don't know that I've felt that excited or that happy in quite some time. I mean, that's I still get goosebumps just talking about it now. I mean, to be, you know, I'm a, a kid from a small farm town in Minnesota. Um, and if you would have told me that I would be pulling an anaconda into the boat back then, I, I wouldn't have believed you. It's like Wild Kingdom, buddy. Oh, it's it's so surreal. It, it's just <laughs> I mean. I think I've told everybody, you know, if that's the one thing I did this whole trip, I, I would go home happy. And yeah. I've just, anytime I got a free moment to myself, I just, I'm just looking at the photos and I'm not going to lie. I got a little misty eyed. I mean, that's, it's such a big deal. I mean, there's so many animals and we've seen so much on this trip, oh, so yeah. much, yeah. but that, I mean, is just so iconic and even to, you know, non reptile hurt people, you know what an anaconda is. Sure. And to see one, granted, you know, not a 30-foot monster. But, no. How big was this snake? Um, um, four I, feet? I don't know if we... I don't even know that. I mean, maybe maybe six. Six feet? Okay. Maybe six. Um, but, you know, it was just beautiful. And I think... I like those size. I don't like the big one. The big ones are really hard to manage, and you can't get good photos. So. Well, we definitely wouldn't have got one in the boat if it was any bigger than it was. No, so. it would have pulled you in. It would have pulled me in. And honestly, you know, uh, being as uh, how that snake was after we got it out of the bag, it was probably better that that's the size that it was. Yeah. yeah. But an exciting experience nonetheless. Uh, something I will certainly not forget for the rest of my life. And as far as, you know, bucket list things and, you know, the Mount Rushmore of things I've done in my life, it is certainly up towards the top. It's, you certainly seem to perk up after that. Uh, yeah, it's it's all been uphill since then. We've we've done a lot better, as, as some people in the boat rightfully said. I needed that win. <laughs> you did. You did. I, I like, too, the, how this all works out. So we, we, the original purpose of the boat ride that night was go, to go to a little slough, um, I don't know, maybe 100 yards behind the river uh, to look for electric eels. So that's right. Know, so I we mean, I was... we uh, hike through uh, some flooded forest, uh, and unfortunately, the electric eel spot was the water was way too high and murky, and we couldn't see a thing because uh, we we wanted a shallow, narrow water in order to see them well. So we got thwarted and came back. So we came back much earlier than we would have because we tur- immediately just went, "Okay, this is done. Let's go back." We go back to the boat. And then, you know, the next thing that we have some boas to release and then uh, the offer was made. If you want to go back to camp, we'll release the boas later. And everybody decided we should go on a nice cooling boat ride with the wind in our face. Yes. And that's what did it. That's what prompted us to be in the right place at the right time for you to have your experience. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about just the series of events. I mean, if if one decision, you know, I didn't go on the boat or, uh, you know, we didn't decide to release the boas or yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I kind of said, and I, there might've been a, a bit of adrenaline, but, uh, yeah, I don't feel bad at all that we didn't see the eels <laughs> now that we have the anaconda photos. What eels? Yeah. What eels? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all right. They're in a zoo yeah. somewhere. I'm sure. Other highlights? 
Uh, other highlights. Uh, the another big one for me was the Bushmaster. Um, I went yeah. to Costa Rica back in 2016, and you know there they're pretty few and far between, but there's whispers of them. And so you know, leaving Costa Rica, that was one that was like, man, you know, I would love to see a Bushmaster. And I think it was what first night in Madre Selva. Uh, Brian pulls one, and you know, even though I was not present for that, and after seeing that capture video, I don't know that I'm too upset about that. Uh, to just stand in its presence, to see it move. I mean, that that one, you know, the anaconda is just an iconic snake in general. But I mean, I think if you're a herper, um, the Bushmaster is just, it's it's got to be close to the top of your list for things yeah. to see before you go. It's what fills up our rosters every year. And uh, it definitely was my number one. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of wrote off the idea of the anaconda, but the Bushmaster was one that, if I left without seeing it, I would have been disappointed. And to have it first day and to not have to be the lucky guy to wrangle it into a bag, uh, yeah. you know, I'm I'm perfectly content to just it's actually my phone background right now, uh, just oh, because yeah. okay. I just watching that thing move. I, I Everybody else is just taking a million photos and I wouldn't fancy myself a photographer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I just sat and watched it. I just sat and just enjoyed watching it just being in his presence it is yeah. it's very surreal yeah and that and just to illustrate a little bit further we we do a one photo shoot with these animals and we usually catch just one um the rest of them we leave in the forest we you know we might go get somebody to come see it but we want everybody to see one so that's why we brought it back but um we do one photo session and everybody we carefully get it out and arrange it and everybody gets their chance at a shot and uh, maybe let it crawl a little bit so people can really understand it a little better. And, uh, and that's it. So uh, it was one of those, those moments that uh, everybody wants on this trip. So. Yeah, absolute goosebumps. I mean, it, once again, I'm talking about it now and thinking about it and goosebumps. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's such a, I guess majestic is the word I'm going to go with snake. And I mean, even when, you know, we have, it's, it's a, it's a massive animal and it's, it's a no small undertaking to, um, you know, kind of get it to do what you want it to do. And just watching it, how it moves, how it kind of reacts to things. I mean, it's, it's a special animal. It is a very special animal. And that's going to be definitely up there with my top highlights, um, that I, I will certainly remember forever. And if I don't see another one forever, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Cause that was just, it, it's something it was, it's, yeah, it's, you it, can close your eyes and see it. I can, I can close my eyes. I can see it. And just, uh, I'm almost, I'm getting speechless just thinking about it because it was such a big deal for me to see, um, and just experience. And I think, uh, Matt, when he kind of pulled us aside before we, um, went out there and it's just like, you know, if you are to see one, just, you know, you don't, you don't have to wrangle, you don't have to do anything, just sit there and enjoy it. And the Bushmaster will give you a moment and you'll have a moment with the Bushmaster. Right. And I don't think he could have put it any better. I mean, um, yeah. Don't be a hero. We don't want people. No, not out here. And especially the snakes out here, they're on a different level. And I, I'm, I have no problem saying that I have no business wrangling any of these snakes, <laughs> um, rattlesnakes all day. I, I can do that very comfortably. Um, but yeah, these South American snakes, especially the bigger ones, they are, 
you definitely want to make sure you have a lot of experience and know what you're doing and have the right tools right. to be able to do that. Well, I hope you see one tonight on the trail and you can spend a little time just watching it. I thank you. I, I hope, thank you for speaking that into the world. I'm hoping all this rain uh, flushes it out and there's somebody sitting on the trail waiting for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, they like the rain. They'll come out, you know, the rain, is, they'll come out on the trail at night uh, after the rains are done. So, uh, so our fortunes are good, so. Our fortunes are good. I mean, you know, I I don't even know how many species we're at when we left Madre Selva. We were at 87. I yeah, think we've definitely surpassed that now. Coming up on 100. So. Coming up on 100. And I mean, uh, that's that's no small feat. <laughs> um, and luckily, we're with a, a fantastic group of people who are all very experienced and all kind of have the same goal and mindset. And um, it's a, what they call a target-rich environment. Right? It is a very target-rich environment. But, you know, it's also, it's... Uh, You'd think with it, it is very target rich, but you still have to work for it. You know, I would say with Costa Rica, especially where I was, you you almost have to go out of your way to not find something. And here you, you still got to work for it, not only physically, but, you know, you have to have your eyes open and just kind of have a, uh, a good idea of what you're looking for, when it's going to be out. And, you know, even then the rainforest can uh, throw you a curveball that can completely... Yeah, it's 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 certainly interesting. And I think uh, just talking to people in camp every night, you know, everybody's kind of going through the same thing where it's like, man, it's been days. I've got, I'm in a cold spell. I just need to see something because uh, it, it is not, you know, it's not just as simple as walking outside and finding something. It's not like it's not like the movies or the videos or the YouTube stuff. It's no, that it's it's real easy to get disillusioned when you watch, you know, documentaries and stuff where they're just cutting footage together. Um, I, I watched a lot of videos of people who had did this tour before, and it does kind of give you the perception that stuff has just fallen out of the sky. And, and to a certain extent, when it comes to frogs and insects and stuff, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. But um, some of the other stuff, especially, you know, the targets that I think people want to see down here. Um, if you set the expectation that you're going to have to work for it, um, you won't be disappointed and it'll feel a lot more rewarding. Right. Yeah. It'd be a lot of work for 12 things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Grayson, let's let's go back and let's talk about how you got into this. Uh, uh, I don't want to call it a hobby. I don't want to call it an obsession, but it's certainly the herp lifestyle. Lifestyle is a, a fantastic word. So how I got into it, um, we'll go pretty far back. Uh, back when I was a kid, I grew up in Minnesota in a small farm town. And uh, nine months out of the year, it is an Arctic tundra. So, you know, some kids embrace the Arctic tundra. I, I did not. Um, so I was inside watching Animal Planet and Discovery Channel and uh, just was I love all animals, but I, I've always been kind of enamored by uh, snakes and reptiles, uh, specifically just because I felt that they are the most misunderstood um, and also some of the most fascinating. Yes. Uh, and so I harassed my parents incessantly until they finally caved and got me a pet snake at eight years old for Christmas. And from there, it was just off to the races. What kind I mean, of snake? it was a little baby corn snake. Of course. And I kept her. She actually, until she was 21 years old, she just passed away last oh. year. Well um, done. Well done. Thank you. I, I was, I'm very proud of that, um, that she was able to stick around this long. Uh, but, you know, with her, and then I just kind of kept going, kept bringing snakes home that I may not have supposed to have been bringing home. And uh, then um, everybody out there is like, uh huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then uh, life kind of found its way to moving to Arizona the first time um, when I was in middle high school. 
And uh, oh, I, and you sort of blossomed. I'm I'm assuming I went bananas. I lived out in a, a planned community out in the middle of the desert, and I would spend all of my free time either walking home from school, just looking for stuff, catching anything I could. I was the weird bug kid. Yeah. So I mean, scorpions, spiders, uh, snakes, if I could ever find them. And thankfully, as a a young child, I never ran into a rattlesnake because I, I I very that would not have ended well. Um, <laughs> All in good knowing time. what I know now. Yeah. Uh, but then I, uh, had to move back to Minnesota due to some circumstances out of my control and that just festered. Cause you know, there's uh, snakes in Minnesota, there's stuff, yeah. there's garter snakes. And, um, I'm told that there's little populations of timbers somewhere if they're still alive. There sure are. Uh, but I, I was not at a driving age at that point or educated enough to go seek them out. Right. So, you know. I did not have a whole lot of herp experience in the three years that I lived in Minnesota, but I knew that I had to go back to Arizona and I had to do something related to reptiles, wildlife. Uh, and, you know, you go to your school counselor in a farm town in Minnesota and go, I want to work with snakes for a living. And they go, <laughs> yeah. OK, weirdo. Yeah. Um, so I moved down here after high school and I was uh, just consuming information because I didn't have school at the time. I was just working and I was just trying to take in as much as I could through, you know, back then that was 2013, 2014. So, you know, the things that existed on, uh, what social media was back then in YouTube and, uh, through the YouTube black hole, I, I ended up finding a video of a guy here in Arizona who was catching, I believe it was four rattlesnakes in a snowbird's garage. And I was like, I have to find that guy. Uh, so I, you know, went down the wormhole and found a guy named Brian Hughes who had started this relatively new company called Rattlesnake Solutions. Um, and I harassed him by email until he finally emailed me back and said, uh, meet me at a reptile show. Uh, I met him at a reptile show in central Phoenix called Repticon, which is uh, no longer there. Um, and he interviewed me and, uh, then I he did a little impromptu training session about a month later uh, with a adult rattlesnake and a little neonate rattlesnake. And he's like, all right, put them in the bucket. Here's how I want you to do it. Um, and he's like, great, you're good to go. And uh, here we are almost 10 years later. I've been doing various jobs with Rattlesnake Solutions. Um, nowadays, not quite as much, um, but, you know, uh, it has been a fantastic 10 years um, you know, working with that company and just the experiences that I've had, uh, the people that I've been able to educate, um, the animals that I've seen, and then just the, the amount you saved, the animals I've saved. I mean, that yeah. one, that's for me, you know, I love, I love herping. Um, but I guess my mentality is I would rather catch an animal that's already in a stressful situation and then get my photos of it and release it, then me go out and just stress out a poor animal who's just living its life. So that was always kind of my, that's been my herping for the last decade. I, I've not been a great at going out and seeing new species. So I still have a lot of lifers in Arizona, admittedly. Shame, shame, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that was been kind of the most rewarding part for me is to, you know, save an animal from a situation where it would otherwise probably not survive, um, get to educate some people who, you know, don't know anything about it. And then I get to make sure that this animal goes home somewhere safe, uh, 
uh, every time. So yeah. that's it's been rewarding, fulfilling, and you know I'm I'm in another career line now uh, that takes up most of my time. And uh, something that I struggle with is it is just I find no fulfillment in it, and it's it's hard when you go from what is essentially a dream job to just kind of a, a general like, it's job. Like moving back to Minnesota, uh, arguably worse. <laughs> um, so but, uh, yeah, you know, life dict- life dictates. Sometimes we have to do stuff we don't like to do. That's that is a hundred percent a fact. But you know, it's it's a very hard thing to kind of find that level of fulfillment um, because it's just man, uh, what that company has done for me in my life and allowing me to do stuff like this here in Peru um, has been. A heck of a wild ride. Um, and I am incredibly thankful to Brian Hughes and Rattlesnake Solutions for um, what they have given me and the experiences that I've gotten to have in my 10 years. I mean, I grew up with that company. You know, I was yeah, sure. 18 when yeah. I got hired. I'm 29 now. Uh, yeah. It's good because you um, you didn't have a bunch of bad habits to unlearn. That is. And I think that that's what Brian told me is like, I would prefer, you know, nothing and start with good habits. And that's what's uh, I think that's played a big part in my longevity in this business. And, you know, I've never been bitten. I've never gone to the hospital and had to receive antivenin. I still have all my fingers and appendages. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably never had a close call. I've never really had a close call just because I've always been pretty smart about it. Um, right. and I, I'm very thankful that I was trained by somebody who is responsible and has respect for these animals. Uh, because, you know, especially nowadays with social media, you see that there is an overwhelming amount of no respect sure. uh, for these animals or just knuckleheads, knuckleheads to put it, to put it very respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, there's, well, we'll omit the other epithets we might uh, yes. occasionally have. Yeah, and uh, so you've, but you know, you you're still friends with a nice cohort of people who all think the, kind of the same way and are dedicated to the welfare of the animal of a much aligned animal. So that's important. It it's very nice to be just yeah part of this community of people and you know the, the herping community. As I continue to find out, is it's a pretty small world, um, a big world, yeah. but also a pretty small world. You know, everybody kind of knows everybody to a certain extent. Um, and so the people that I've gotten to meet and, you know, share time with has, has been incredibly rewarding um, and incredibly educational. You know, that's the big thing is I, I think what I find and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I find a lot of people in the herp community to be very. I'm right. And, you know, set in their way. Yeah. And a bunch I, of old guys like me are like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for me, you know, I've I've always tried to approach everything with an open mind um, yeah. and to have found the right people to have, you know, nursed me in the right direction. Uh, I'm incredibly thankful for because, you know, I think you get a lot more out of it that way. Yeah. And, you know, the, I, I used to say we couldn't fill a baseball stadium back, you know, 20 years ago, but that's no longer true. There's a lot more people doing it, and we we could fill a baseball stadium, but maybe not two. Um, but yeah, the community small enough that you know, you pretty much everybody kind of knows who the the upright people are, and everybody knows who the uh, quote unquote knuckleheads are, <laughs> uh, and so you you can you know plan your moves accordingly. Uh, but it's a big enough environment to move around in, and you'll find lots of friendly people. 
uh, no matter where you go. You know, come to Snake Road sometime. You uh, will knock your socks off. I absolutely have to come to Snake Road. That's yeah. that's one I got to knock off my list. Not just for the, the snakes, but um, it, it's a it's just a great place to meet a lot of um, real cool people, and uh, you get to make some, you'll make some friends. So yeah, and that's kind of been another one of the highlights. You know, and that's why I love going on these trips. Is you just you meet other people who are kind of in that. I mean, it's been a pleasure to finally meet and spend time with you, yeah. um, with Neon Jim, with uh, <laughs> Neon Jim, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, with uh, I, Justin. Yeah. You know uh, these guys that, and you know you you see their names on forums and stuff like that but to you know finally put a pace to the name and kind of you know spend time out in the field with these people um that's in and of itself uh just fun even if you're getting skunked you're getting skunked with a bunch of people who you know all have the same mentality and kind of same sense of humor yeah so to speak yeah exactly and you know the connections make connections make connections and uh um it, it's all good and it's it's it makes it fulfilling too um but you have to kind of be open to it too. You you know, it's not it's not for everybody because some people are, um, you know, not built that way. But if you're open to relationships and you know, it's 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 just uh, a nice community. It's not too big, you know. If we were all, um, I don't know, pick something much bigger. Oh well, comic I'm, books or <laughs> car community. That's car one that community. I'm a big part of. That's yeah. just huge so and ever expanding. That uh, you know, it's it's sort of you. You're a little fish in a really big ocean, and uh, it's a little di little difficult situation there. But uh, yeah, we're small enough still that uh, we're small, but we're mighty. Yes. You know? So, uh, and it, uh, one of the reasons that keeps me coming down here, uh, as I sit here swatting mosquitoes, and yeah, uh, you got a couple on the left leg oh, there. Yeah. Here we go. Um, Oh, more. Okay. Got you. Uh, but uh, I just love having people come down here and meet, making new friends and meeting new people like you uh, and just watching everybody have a great time. And I watch these cross connections happen too, you know, which is always fun. So uh, it's like an ever expanding community. And I'm just happy to be a kind of a part of that. And it happens elsewhere too, not just here, obviously, but uh, it's it's fun to witness that, you know. So, uh, and you have, you're here, you've, you've done Costa Rica as well. I have. Yeah. I did Costa Rica back in 2016. Um, I was with also with Rattlesnake or Brian Hughes. Um, and actually Chris Haas was also there as well. Oh, yeah. uh, and a couple other people. And that was, that was really a, my first time as uh, an adult out, out of the country. Um, and then definitely my first like big real herping trip. And that just, Sorry, I attacked by a bug. Oh, big, um, <laughs> big, big fly or bee or something went right in your right in your beard. He was like, "Ah, I'm gonna make a nest." That's here. that's why I grew the beard was face protection. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to Costa Rica in 2016, and that just opened my eyes to, I mean, how big of a world it is out there and how much there really is to see. I mean, you know, it's easy to just get lost with targets in the United States, but there's so much more out there, and. Uh, you know, it's hard to say with the way of the world, but obviously we're we're losing species fast. So uh, to to be able to get out and see these before they, you know, they could possibly no longer be with us um, is something that I want to continue to do more of. Well, there's uh, much joy in it, but there's also the edge of sadness to all of it, which we can't is. get away from. No, it, it it's hard to get away from. And especially, you know, in certain places in Peru, just coming in, seeing some of the pollution, some of, uh, I was, they were talking about, uh, I guess you guys a couple trips ago went to the markets and just, I, it's, it, you know, 
the world is is changing more and more every day, maybe not for the better. And yeah. uh, we are losing some of these beautiful animals that, I mean, by the hundreds. And there's, you know, I'd like to say that there's something that we can necessarily do about that. It's a big problem that requires a lot of change. Uh, but, you know, in the here and now, I'm just blessed to be able to come do stuff like this with people yeah. like you guys that, you know, have the respect and the passion for these animals and to keep, you know, we're sitting in this beautiful preserve overlooking a pond uh, that is just littered with all sorts of amazing reptiles, amphibians, fish. I mean, I've spent the last every night just watching the angelfish in this pond there are angelfish 20 feet away from us literally 20 feet and you know my experience with angelfish is i worked in pet retail and you never see a happy angelfish in pet retail and these are just beautiful i mean their veils are they sparkle in the light and they're just plentiful yeah. uh and you know all these other animals that are you know, you know part of the pet trade which probably contributes to the Sadness, some unfortunately, of sadness, yeah. some of the sadness in the in the grand conversation. Um, well, I'm glad just, you like the angelfish too, because that's that's always a great. I always go down and walk down here and uh, at night and shine a oh, flashlight and watch them. That's I I can't. I went last night. You know, even after uh, we it was probably 12:45, I was like, I got to go down and see the angelfish before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, they're great. Um, Costa Rica, did you? Um, where did you go? Uh, so we were at uh, the Arnal Lodge. Um, My favorite. Oh, it is it is fantastic, but uh, it's it's really cushy. So if you think that's going to be your idea of herping in the jungle, like I did, <laughs> it's very different. But no, it is it's a good beautiful food and lodge. Air conditioning, yeah. Yes, good food, good air conditioning. The staff <laughs> are fantastic, um, and you know you don't really have to, um, to work that hard. Uh, you pretty much just walk down the road you come up on, and you can find stuff. Um, the trails are pretty well maintained, and they're not very long so you know you just walk through and there's stuff everywhere there's you know eyelash vipers there's hognose vipers on the trail um frogs in the garden behind your your room overlooking the volcano let's not forget the volcano the volcano i i have many many shots with the volcano in the background that was actually up until this trip that has been my phone background is a little yellow eyelash viper uh hung on a flower with the volcano in the background. Okay. Uh, the iconic shot. The iconic shot. And that uh, was now replaced by the Bushmaster. But uh, I definitely need to go back to Costa Rica again. And I will definitely be going straight back Me to the too. R&L Lodge. Because there's still a couple things I'd like to knock off my list. I went there last year for the first time. Oh, with, did you really? Uh, with Berkeley Martineau. Oh, okay. Very show, nice. Burke. How you doing, buddy? Uh, and um, because pe you know, people say find out i hadn't been to costa rica yet, yet and they looked at me like i had you know uh a thumb growing out of my forehead or something um i just too busy elsewhere so so burke said let's go and i said yeah so i did 10 days there and spent uh about half of it at iron all and boy i think you could spend a week there and be uh and find uh a lot of herbs and be perfectly happy so. yeah and it, i mean it's really you know if you're if you've never done anything international you've never done anything tropical i would certainly recommend um just going to the rnl lodge to try to dip your toes in the water because you know like i said it's not going to set a real expectation for what herping in the jungle is if you choose to do something like uh, the project amazonas tour but um 
you know, it, it's a great way to kind of start and understand, you know, how you need to look for snakes and yeah. uh, how these guys function as opposed to, you know. And it's uh, the whole country is like bent towards tourism. Oh, everybody there. Everybody there is super is, nice. Pura Vida. Yeah. Yeah. Pura Vida. Then they understand where their income, their comp. This is what drive. This is the engine that drives our country. And they all get it. They, you know, it's not like it's just the person at the hotel or the guy who picks you up at the airport or whatever it is. Everybody is committed, you know, that you run into anywhere in the country. They're committed to making you feel welcome and make you know, making sure you have a good time there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, we spent some time, you know, in the towns and stuff like that, and everybody was just incredibly, you know, friendly and warm and, um, you know, even with kind of a language barrier with a lot of them and, you know, but really not that bad. A lot of them actually spoke very good English. Sure. Uh, but even if there was a language barrier, they are incredibly patient with, uh, silly gringos and, <laughs> uh, they will definitely help you out. And I mean, if there's something you're looking for, uh, the amount of eco tours and lodges out there is, I mean, you can't, go a mile without seeing a sign somewhere for something yeah um did you and, go anywhere else in the country uh so no we pretty much were just in the the r and all area um i i left after that i think other people went to go see other stuff okay um i would like to go back down there and try to get simus um at yeah, some point i were i tried for that we went up to the guanacaste up in the north okay for them but it hadn't rained so it was very dry i mean like powder in the air dry you know it was just uh so we didn't see. We did get a big liar snake there, which oh, is okay. cool. It was a lifer for me up there, but uh, a few other things. But it was not very herpy. Um, uh, rains were weeks late, which is everywhere I went last year was. There's been a problem with uh, drought, but uh, I'd like to go back up there and try again too. Cause that's a big snake to get. So. Yeah, that one. And then uh, we got robbed of a boa constrictor. Uh, that that one, I'm still upset about that oh, to this day. It, so it was freshly DOR, and we passed the car that hit it. And, you know, if you've ever been to Costa Rica, you'll know that the road rules there are, there's lines. But, you know, you come to a four-way intersection and everybody's lined up like the running of the bulls. So, you know, <laughs> there, there's not really, you don't, if you want to go around something, you absolutely can. And so this snake was stretched out on the road. It was beautiful. And whoever that person was, I firmly believe deliberately hit it. And we showed up about half a second later to see it uh, pass on. That's too bad. Then I don't want to tell you about the one we got right outside the door of the lodge in Arnold. <laughs> you know, we got a couple of... Uh, uh, I believe they're called puffing snakes now, uh, right outside the lodge. So yeah, I you showed me the photo of that, and that was that's a beautiful animal. Yeah, so uh, you have to go back and and get one. I you don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so much to see and do in that country. I, I can't uh, wait to go back. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're just a normal tourist and you want to go to the coast, I hear that's a fantastic place to go. Um, yeah, I, a couple people went on. They boat. got more zip lines per capita than any yeah, other. Yeah, if you're into the zip lining, <laughs> I'm. It's a fantastic place to zip line. Did you go see the crocodiles at the Tarcolis Bridge? I don't think I, we definitely went over the bridges, but it was at night, so oh, I missed it. I think okay. a couple people went on a boat tour, but I did not go on that boat tour. I was on, I went on a frog tour. Oh. Um, a little further away, it's still an R and L, but uh, that was a super cool tour because there were frogs everywhere, and I mean, we 
managed to get actually like footage of a cat eye snakes eating frog eggs. Oh wow! Which was that's that's super cool. That's super cool. It is super cool. So uh, was the frog tour on foot? Or it was. It was on foot. Okay. Um, they just uh, we when we went into the town, you know, uh, we were all kind of talking about some of the tours that were offered, and uh, one individual really wanted to do you know a bird and crocodile tour and. Most of us were like, nah, you can go do that yourself. Um, <laughs> and then the rest of us went on this frog tour. And it was pretty much just this little trail uh, throughout the woods. And they had built in ponds. And they'd made it a preserve. So, I mean, there were blue jean dart frogs. There were red-eyed tree frogs everywhere. I mean, just and a whole variety of others that I'm completely blanking on at the moment. Uh, but I mean, every leaf that you looked on, there's frog eggs. And oh, wow. so you come, we came around a bend and there's just cat eye snakes just slurping them up. Uh, that's and awesome. that's awesome. And then there's little, you know, more hog nose vipers, which the variability of those guys is crazy. They're very pretty little snakes, mm -hmm. especially with their camouflage. Orthidium, I think they are. Yes. I think you are correct on that. I I'm, miss I'm, those, but I'm, uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not. Super great on the scientific names. That's all right. Arizona, I got I got my crotalus down, but yeah, <laughs> when you get yeah. down here, I, I still got to learn some stuff. Uh, but cool. yeah, what time of the year did you go? Uh, it would have been May, beginning May? of May. Yeah. Yep. And okay. I think that's I'm told that is the time to that's go. That's a good yeah, it's a good time. May and June, I, I I'm told. Yeah. Uh, so we're both going to go back at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me know. I'll go yeah. with you. All right. Sounds good to me. Um. So what about uh? when you you've been here what's next what are you thinking about uh, um since you obviously probably will not put the international travel back in a box no the, the it's it's i i tried and it's not happening so i think what's next uh i have to think about it i mean i there's still a lot of stuff in the states that i need to go do uh now as an adult so uh yeah. this year when i get back i honestly plan to hit the ground and hit finish off the rest of my crotalus targets in Arizona or in just in the Southwest in general. Um, and then after that, I'm going to have to kind of, kind of think about that. Um, I would love to do Australia. Um, yep. that's one that's been at the top of my list forever for a variety of reasons. I mean, not only, you know, uh, the reptiles there, but I would love to see the great barrier reef before it's completely bleached. Yes. Um, and then I guess, yeah, I definitely, Costa Rica is just, it's been itching at me for a while. Um, and I already kind of know what I got to do and I don't obviously have to go with the group again. So I think that one is one I'll probably try to set my sights for. And then, uh, Mexico is very interesting to me, but I would like to go with people who are savvy, savvy. Uh, yeah. but it sounds like some of the savvy people who I would like to go with are not super stoked on that idea at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Which I can understand yeah. considering kind of the climate going on. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's there's some safe places you, I think relatively safe places you can go there, like Baja, California, mm -hmm. or uh, uh, Baja Sur especially, uh, is a very peaceful place to go. Um, the Yucatan, I think, is also, in my mind, a very uh, trouble or relatively trouble free, but no matter where you travel, travel, you can travel anywhere in the United States and still run into trouble too. So, oh, of course. Um, I think sometimes it's, um, we Americans expect to be, ha have everything sanitized for our protection, no matter <laughs> where you go. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, certainly don't want to risk your life. But I think some of those places like the Yucatan and Baja are fairly, 
uh, fairly safe. And uh, Yeah, a couple of people um, who are on this trip just went to Baja, and it looked like it was an amazing time. So that's one that I'll probably um, try to look into just because it's, you know, not too far from home. Yeah. Um, but those are, I would say, probably my big three. Um, I'd say Asia, maybe when I'm a little little older yeah got a couple more things figured out okay um but you know uh we'll see i i think uh the moment the plane takes off here from Iquitos, uh i'm gonna be plotting plotting <laughs> yeah i mean i'm already plotting but you know especially we got some rain so i, I have some time to plot at the moment tonight but, we'll be plotting yes. <laughs> through the mud but to, <laughs> later we'll be plotting yeah yes indeed well listen it's been great to talk to you um and I, I wish you well on your next adventure, wherever that, that is. Um, um, enjoyed having you down here and getting to know you a little bit. And uh, it, it was great to be witness when you got your uh, Super Anaconda. That was a great move. And uh, I know great moves when I see them when it comes to catching snakes. So that was that was a classic one. So uh, thank I don't you think very you much. You even thought about it. You just reflect, you just sort of have the reflex and. Uh, you acted and it came out brilliant. So kudos. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's it's a pleasure to finally be on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, I hope that uh, we cross paths again soon. Yeah, same here. Thanks, Grayson, for coming on the show. Thank you, Mike. All right. Chris Haas, welcome to the deck of my tambo. I am absolutely thrilled to be here, Mike. Good. I'm glad to have you. And uh, it's good to talk to you. Uh you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. been... Uh, over a decade? Over a decade. Yeah. I think 2011 was our first trip together. Yeah, we went to Mexico, sunny Mexico, hot, Indeed. sweaty Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. That, that was a good trip. Fond but, memories for sure. Yeah, yeah. And some maybe not so fond memories. <laughs> Funny now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's all distance and uh, time uh, tends to uh, make things... More, Indeed. Uh, maybe more hilarious or maybe more fond, may have more fond memories. Uh, but at the time, it seemed rather harsh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But here we are in uh, uh, not so sunny Peru. <laughs> uh, at least the rain has stopped and uh, uh, the birds are out making noise and stuff. And uh, we're sitting in here on the back deck of Matambo and uh, trying to get uh, a little information on you and uh, how are you enjoying the trip so far? I'm looking out here at the amazing biodiversity. Um, and I wish your listeners could see what I see right now, but growing up as a kid, you always hear about the Amazon, uh, the Amazon rainforest and how it's one of the most biodiverse places on earth. And then you come here and you witness it and you realize that every single word that told you that is true. And, uh, I don't think I'm reaching when I say that it, there is no other place like it on earth. I, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of overwhelming at times, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, kind of want to makes me press the, make, make me want to press the fast forward button to next year. <laughs> so you already decided you got to come back and try. Absolutely. And not just once either. Okay. Um, yeah. And that's the, many people feel that way. Um, because it's, um, it's so immersive and there's, you're kind of in shock. Sometimes you miss things because you were still trying to process all of the new things. And that's very common. It's been common ever since uh, people have been coming here. So, you know, and it's, it's funny, I think at least with previous international trips, and we can talk about that a little bit uh, 
in, in a little bit if you'd like, but you sort of pick up something new every single time. Um, something you may have missed before or didn't experience before, and it sort of just enriches the overall uh, experience each time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any uh, highlights for the trip? Yes. Um, a few species that I remember flipping through books in the public library as a kid and reading about anacondas and reading about Bushmasters, both of which we were privileged enough to see. And uh, even now, I don't, I, I, it hasn't sunk in yet that I've actually witnessed those wild animals. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Um, so it, it was fun to photograph them and just kind of observe them where they live. And uh, there's, there's nothing like it. No, nothing like it in the world. Yeah. And, and as far as uh, you see, so you're, you're I want to call you, I don't want to call you a snake guy, but I think that's your main thrust. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I have interest in other critters as well. Coming down here, um, I was interested in, in a lot of the invertebrates as well. Um, and the, the Amazon does not disappoint when it comes to invertebrates either. Yeah. So if you are an invert person, the Amazon is, uh, you need to put that on your list. Yeah. Sometimes it makes you an invert person. It kind of does. It kind of does. Uh, well, on a hike last night, we saw this crazy looking grasshopper thing with antenna that went on for like five miles. And it was just, yeah. you're, never, you're not going to see that anywhere else. It was like a the grasshopper is like under two inches long, but the antenna were 10 inches just long. Just crazy. Yeah. And, like, and it had a ovipositor that looked really dangerous. <laughs> like, what do you do with those things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's funny too, you know, after all this time, I still see new insects that I've never seen before. And some of them are just nuts, you know. Some of them are a little, uh, the, the bullet ants. I oh, could yeah. probably avoid those, yeah. but you know. Um, so yeah. So to, to your point, I'm primarily a snake guy. Yeah. Um, lizards are amazing to me. I'm not a huge amphibian guy, but maybe that's simply just a function of me living in a place where there aren't a whole lot of amphibians compared no. to the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, but I think they're cool too. Yeah. Indeed. And to come down here, you step, you, I know you appreciate everything you see. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you, how did you get started with all this, Chris? Now you live, you're, uh, uh, out of Arizona. Uh, but, uh, did you, did you start it out there or tell, tell us about your younger life and how you got into this, uh, Herper lifestyle. So it's, an, it's sort of, an, uh, you know, it may, maybe it's very similar to some other, you know, origin stories in the sense that I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't into critters or creepy crawlies of one, one form or another. So, but I was always that, the, the snake kid. I was always the kid that somebody found something in the neighborhood and they didn't know what it was. And so I, I was the one that took an active interest in the animals. And, you know, so I kind of came, became the go-to, um, a little bit later, um, I would go out looking for critters and there were fields down by my house where I could, you know, flip tin or flip boards. And let's see, uh, I, I grew up in the Bay area. So, okay. um, lots and lots of garter snakes. Oh, uh, nice garter snakes. Nice too. garter snakes. Uh, Pacific gopher snakes. Every once in a while, I'd flip a nice Cal, uh, California king snake, uh -huh. and I did that largely. So, I mean, I would drag my, I'd drag my brother along, you know, <laughs> uh, every once in a while. But um, I didn't even really know that other people did it. I just kind of figured, you know, this is cool. These are awesome critters, and I like finding them. 
that's kind of a, a, a common story too, especially Indeed. if you're of a certain age group where you grow up in this little bubble. It's just you and maybe if you're lucky, one other person in the bubble with you uh, who are interested in this stuff, you know. You know, and it's, it's, it's a different world now because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have um, a lot of the resources that are available today. So the only real reason, the only real way you matched up with somebody that was into these critters was to meet them in person. And, uh, that didn't happen no. for a kid. Every no, now. not for kids. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you get so. a little older, you can, uh, go to a, like a herp society meeting. Yes. Uh, and there'll, there'll be a few people who are interested in field being out in the field there. Um, but, but generally you might run into somebody while you're out road cruising or yeah, hiking or something. Yeah. I, uh, I, I lived at the East Bay Vivarium as a kid. Oh, um, did you, did you know Carl Switek? I did. I uh, know. Um, it's, you know, it's funny. I recently found one of the, uh, one of the former owners or, or, uh, partial owners of the East Bay Vivarium was one of my mentors, um, uh-huh. for all things reptile growing up. And, uh, I recently found him or he recently found me on Facebook about two months ago. Oh, nice. So, um, so that was a, a very, very big influence. Um, and, uh, so one of the, one of the person that would take you under there and teach you like right from wrong, yes, or, uh, yeah. not, not just field knowledge, but, uh, but animal uh, knowledge in general. Yeah. But also maybe uh, etiquette and things like yes, that too. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was a, he's a super guy. Um, so shout out to East Bay Vivarium. If you haven't been there, it's an amazing place. Nice. Um, and then it, you know, so I grew up in the Bay Area and it came time to go to college and what better place to go to college than Arizona. So I packed up all my stuff when I was 18 and moved out to Arizona and went to ASU. Um, and I, I'd be lying if I said that the diversity in Arizona, the reptile diversity in Arizona didn't have a large part to play in why I chose that school. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I think you're not the only one who's, who's done that. It's like. So, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to, you know, University of North Dakota. If you're a herp guy, <laughs> nothing wrong with you up there. Uh, no, you got University. some fine herps up there, all yeah. five of them. All five of them. And uh, we're not, we're talking number, not species. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, nothing wrong with uh, that school or those people. It's just that if you're a herp guy, you want to go somewhere where, where there's lots of them. So, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So you get you uh, and you decided to live there and uh... yeah. So I moved out to uh, to Arizona in 1994, um, and I've lived out there ever since, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, Arizona people that don't have never been there or don't know about Arizona think it's one big great desert, um, and there are certainly lots of desert there, but there's every other biotope um, except rainforest. Except rainforest. Um, but you've got your, your woodlands, you've got your grasslands, you've got all these things mixed in. And so that's, you know, that's a big part to play in why Arizona is so diverse with, uh, herpetofauna and fauna in general. And why people want to go there. Lots Indeed. of people. Yes. Sure. Every, every year, um, people make the yearly, um, trip, monsoon trip yeah. as it were, because there's lots in Arizona that you're not going to see very many other places. True. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if we took herps out of the equation, there's still a lot of cool places to go there in Arizona, just because they're like a sky islands, you know, climb up in the Huachucas or the Chiricahuas and 
hike there are just amazing places to visit. Really, yes. Um, from a, from a scenic standpoint, you can go up to the Grand Canyon, and it is an oh, yeah. amazingly beautiful. You know, it's one of the seven wonders of the world for a reason. Um, yeah. Uh, Meteor Crater is another fantastic place if you're into uh, history and you're into outer space or meteors or all that other stuff because big holes in the ground, big holes in the ground. <laughs> um, it is not necessarily one of the larger impact sites in the country. It is, however, one of the most, uh, well-preserved. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's yeah. It's there. And, uh, hasn't been quarried or I don't no. think anybody's minded or anything. Nobody's just... minded. Um, I will, if you, if you happen to go there, um, it'll take your breath away. It did me. Yeah, I have. I've been there. Yeah, it's on my list of because uh, I have plenty of unfinished business in Arizona, so I need to get my butt back out there. It's been a you few do. years. So. You do. Uh, so, um, and then you sort of settle in and um, explore the various biomes out there and uh, get your, you know, get your experience and learn much about how to herp out. Not only herp out there, but you know uh, how to thrive out there as as a herper and just a, a outdoor person, right? Yeah. Um, Arizona is a little bit different than some other places in the U S. Um, so there are some things that you need to prepare for that you may not need to prepare for in a place like, um, Missouri or Illinois, uh, Illinois for that matter. You know, and it's it, it, at least once every year, somebody will ask me, they're making their first trip to Arizona and they want to prepare and, you know, bring more water than you think you can possibly drink because I guarantee you, you're going to drink it. Yes. Um, wide brimmed hat. I mean, you're, you're a large, large part of your, of your herping time. You're going to you spend it in a desert. So, um, long sleeve, long sleeves, uh, wide brimmed hat, lots of water, sunscreen. You mm. can't forget sunscreen. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. Um, it's, I enjoy the challenge of going out, of having targets, and going out specifically to new places, maybe I haven't been yet or haven't been many times, and seeing if I can find the targets that I'm looking for. Ah, uh, so it becomes there's a game element to it. Sort of, yes. Um, I'm a, a, an avid photographer as well. So, um, but I tend to be, you know, I, I talk about herpers have different styles of herping, um, and I am largely a hands off, in situ, minimalist impact herper. Um, if I see a snake or a lizard or whatever it is, um, I want to capture that animal. Um, I was almost going to say on film and then I realized, <laughs> um, I want to capture that animal, um, in on images, <laughs> yes, in images doing what it naturally does, because I think that tells a story that nothing else can. This is one of my favorite topics on the show. You know, we talked about, and, and, uh, I, you know, so I've known you long enough that, your uh methods really rubbed off on me too it's i you know it's something i think a lot more about just that ability to see the animal don't get too close don't get grabby get some cool shots see what the animal do is is doing what it does and then start thinking about why it's there and what you think it might be doing while it's there you know and it's interesting because sometimes you'll actually witness something pretty cool. Um, this past August, I was with a couple of friends and we were hiking a wash and there was a very large ironwood tree. 
And uh, it actually ended up being an estivation site for four or five um, Western Diamondbacks, cordless Atrox. Uh-huh. Um, and so we saw that they had made, you know, sort of retreating into the root systems of this giant, giant ironwood tree. And then we continued with our hike and saw a few more snakes. And on our way back, we visited the tree again. And one of the females was in the act of giving birth right there under the ironwood tree. And I like to think that because we were an observer rather than a participant in that animal's life at that point in time, we were privileged enough to see that, which is not something that you see every day. So Yeah, yeah. Um, those are the things we live for, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, that is one of, I will say that that is one of the coolest herping experiences I've had to date. Um, definitely a top five experience for me. Okay. I don't have to ask you that question now. <laughs> <laughs> well, by all means, I mean, you know, yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree. I mean, it's the, what do we call those? We call those natural history moments or whatever. I don't know what the other term is, but, uh, yeah, I would say, the, you know, uh, yeah. Natural history moment uh, where beha- your behaviors, your, your privilege to get a sneak yeah. peek into this animal's life. Yeah. And I've never seen, I've never seen anything giving birth. I've come across a few snakes that were um, in the process of laying eggs or, or um, that that kind of thing, but uh, the give uh, rattlesnake giving birth would be way up there. It's up there. <laughs> um, I like predation events. I've seen a predation few of events. Those. Are, yes, yeah. Um, I have not seen any ritual combat. Have you? Not in snakes. Okay. Um, for as many rattlesnakes as I have seen in the wild, and it's been thousands. Um, I have yet to see male combat. Okay. Um, I did see male combat in Gila monsters. Well, that sounds which was, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was hiking with a buddy. We were taking part in a survey, a Gila monster telemetry survey, um, in a Phoenix area mountain range. And uh, it's like nine 30 at night and I'm hiking down this wash and I'm hearing this noise up ahead. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to walk up on a mountain lion or something, you know, and uh, lo and behold, there's these two adult Gila's. They're there. At first, I thought it was mating. Um, come to find out later, it was not mating. Uh, they were in the business of duking it out, as it were, uh, for rights to breed with a receptive female. Wow. Was there a female around? or I didn't see one. Okay. Um, there probably was. My sole in, uh, attention was pointed at these two lizards hissing and rolling around and wrestling and all kinds wow. of stuff. Did you get some, uh, capture it? I, I, uh, I did. Uh, I got some photos. Unfortunately, this was 2007, I believe. So the quality of those photos is much, leaves much to be desired, but you can tell that it's two Gila's that are just doing what they, nice. you know, having a boxing match as it were. Nice. Uh, it, it's interesting that, um, you, you say you were on a survey too. That's that's something that I always t- encourage people to, if you want to see more herps, you want to get deeper with herps, get to know some people who who help conserve them or study them and get out there and help them. Uh, the the uh, You would not have that opportunity otherwise. The opportunities just get much larger if you engage and help people do things. So. You know, and it's I can't speak for other states, but I can say that Arizona Game and Fish is very, very good about publicizing wild animal surveys. Uh, there's one for uh, flat-tailed horn lizards. No. Um, there's one for, um, there is a weasel, um, a, a rare weasel in Arizona, um, and they do surveys for that. Huh. And of course, you know, while you're surveying for these 
target animals, you're going to see all kinds of other cool animals too. So right. for somebody that wants to get out there and just see stuff, um, it's a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I'm not real big on weasels. I have seen a couple weasels in my day, but they're kind of hard to spot. Black-footed weasels, I believe. Oh, okay. Is yeah. that Okay. Yeah. Like the black-footed ferret or? Uh, you know, I'm... I know some mammals, but okay. <laughs> not a huge mammal. It's in the same family. It's in the same family. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, obviously, our, our herps, and, and they're not birds, so we're <laughs> yeah, we're we're in the clear. They're not birds, we're so we're clear. okay. Yeah. So we have we have one of our friends, uh, Ryan. Love Ryan, you, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan Borgman's on a trip, and and he's a big birder, and uh, we've been giving him crap for the entire trip, <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, a like a. Like a sport, he's been taking it yeah. like a champ. Ryan, are birds owls? <laughs> are owls birds? Ryan, are owls birds? Are yeah. birds dinosaurs or reptiles? <laughs> it's been fun, but uh, yeah, so that it's it's just great to do that, and um, you know, see how people do science and see how people do conservation is always good. And uh, before you know it, you're uh, a conservationist. You know, you know, it, yeah. Um, I, I certainly, you know, when I set out to this thing. As a, as a young kid, I just knew that I loved these critters and my mom would take me hiking. I remember clear as day, the first wild rattlesnake I ever saw, um, was because of her. Um, we went to a local park in Northern California and she had went, gone hiking there a few days ago and saw a rattlesnake and she took me out and this thing was curled up peaceful as can be under a big thicket of poison oak. And, uh. I wanted to, to rattle, so I took little pebbles and I, you know, I would like <laughs> try to not hit the snake, but get close enough to the snake uh -huh. to have it light up. And it never did. Eventually it got tired of me uh, trying to influence its behavior and it crawled off. Uh. Um, but that moment has always and will always be with me because, you know, me being a croat head, I guess. <laughs> you are. That's my first wild experience with a rattlesnake. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you, uh, the rattlesnakes have really captured your attention and interest since then. Absolutely. They are one of the most amazing creatures that, that exist or have ever existed in my opinion. They are so well adapted to their environments, whether we're talking about a specialist, like a sidewinder who occupies its niche and does so as well as can possibly be done or a generalist like uh, Western Diamondback, who has colonized all different manner of different bio biotopes and different environments. Um, they each are a bit different and have something else to offer. And the fact that they have these heat-sensing pits, it's just like so cool to me. So yeah, I've, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a rattlesnake nut. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And uh, it's, it's also interesting that, you know, I mean, as far you you're in the right state, to observe these behaviors, but, uh, there's, a, I mean, it's not like you're out there by yourself either. You have, you know, plenty of friends and, and, uh, uh, associates that are out there with you and, yes. uh, yes. you've made some lifelong friends out of the whole deal. And, uh, uh, it's, it's been kind of a, a I would say a wonderful experience for you in, t in terms of, you know, how, th how your life has gone. I, I, I would agree. Um, yes, I have, uh, I have close friends that I, you know, when we go on a trip, 
or maybe it's a local thing. Maybe we want to, we want to go find uh, Arizona black rattlesnakes or blacktail rattlesnakes, or, Hey, there's a, there's a mountain range over here. And I just found a whole, a whole new wash that I've never hit. Let's go hit that and see what's there. Um, it's just fun. It's just, it's, it's, and one thing that I've learned from, from field herping is that you learn just as much when you strike out as when you hit the home run. If you pay, if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you go out there and, and, and something isn't right, you know, okay, well, you know, we struck out, we didn't see anything. Why is that? Are we just blind and walked right by 50 of them or was it too cold? Was there a, a, a high pressure system moving in? You know, it, it's a lot of that speculation. Um, but you do learn when you don't achieve what you set out to achieve. Yeah. And speculation is just, just part of the feedback loop. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. So when you go out and you strike out, what do you, is there a, a common set of causes for rattlesnakes not being around? You know, it just varies. Um, depends on the species too. It depends on the species. It depends on the species. Um, because obviously different species are going to prefer different climactic conditions as it were. Right. Um, they're very niche. They At are. least out in Arizona, they're very niche too. They are. They How many are. species of rattlesnake do you have in Arizona? Oh, uh, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, I like to, I like to go with the patented 13. Um, no offense to if you're a lumper or a splitter. I'm um, a life lister, so I'm a splitter. There you go. You're a splitter. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, if you're into rattlesnakes or you're into snakes with bells on their tails, Arizona has a lot to offer. So Yeah. And you guys have all the good nicknames for them too, right? Buzzworms. Buzztails. Death noodles. Death oh spaghetti. Gosh. You know. Yeah. yeah. Just don't say danger noodle. No. There will be no booping of the snoot. <laughs> Not here. on this show. <laughs> nice. Um, and you've, I've probably seen all the rattlesnakes in Arizona, I'm sure. I have. Uh, but what about, uh, say North America? How are you doing on, on that? It's a good question. Um, I still need Crotalus adamantius, Eastern diamondback. Oh, okay. You're going to have to get in hot and sweaty again for that one. Uh, you know, I am there for that. <laughs> um, some of the sistrus I still need. Um, I still okay. need, uh, the, uh, Sistrus uh, uh, streckeri, the western pygmy. Okay, western pygmy. Yeah. Um, I still need. We're doing just rattlesnakes. So, what else? Uh, West. Well, and again, it depends on who you ask. The western massasauga. Okay, I've seen easterns. I've seen deserts, but I've just never had the opportunity to really. Although you know, one could theoretically make the argument that the western and the desert are the same animal. So yeah, but I, you know, I kind of like thinking of them separate because you know they do they can occupy different habitats so why not um i i you know i kind of like thinking of them separately you know for my purposes i still need a western yeah okay yeah go to kansas hey, that's kansas. what i've heard yeah for oklahoma is really good for them too yes oklahoma yeah i got some really nice western pygmies in oklahoma uh gosh it's been uh it's been almost 15 years now but uh they were Blue, light hmm. blue color. They were just beautiful animals. Interesting. And, um, yeah. If you're going to get a Western pygmy, that was a good one to get. Yeah. I've got some, I've got some buddies in Oklahoma. Maybe I'll, I've been wanting to hit you, them up and you should do that. Yeah. 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 That's a good one to get. Um, it's, and, uh, the Eastern Massasauga, where, whereabouts did you get your Eastern? Um, two different States. Um, I got my lifer in Pennsylvania. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we were talking about herp surveys um, earlier. My buddy Brian Hughes, who's also on the trip with us, uh-huh. and I helped uh, the Nature Conservancy in Pennsylvania on one of their uh, confirmed Eastern Massasauga wet prairies. I think there are two in Pennsylvania. Um, we were doing um, two of the wet prairie habitat. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were doing a uh, survey for because they had just come up out of brumation. Um, and so we were walking the grid and doing, you know, stuff that people that have done surveys know how to do. And um, we ended up getting two juvenile Eastern Massasaugas. That was, I actually rem- will remember to the day I die when I spotted my little lifer, nine, I don't even know, nine inch maybe, nine inch little juvenile. And then this past year went to Wisconsin and got a nice big adult female. Um, that but, one was a little bit of a struggle. Though. That was, that was a, yeah, tell, we were on the struggle bus for that one. Um, yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about that. It was June. Without giving away too much Yeah, it detail. was, it was June. Crazy. Um, which means that areas where they exist are often overgrown. Yeah. When I say overgrown, I mean over your head with, uh, weeds and grass and things like yeah. that. Um, getting to the location is interesting because- Things that you should be able to walk across, you may not be able to. Um, <laughs> yeah, the struggle getting across a uh, 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 was it a river? It was. It was a. It was a an old decrepit, I like a railroad track or something. Okay. Um, but you guys had trouble getting across. Yeah, I had to do the old Vern from uh, Stand by <laughs> Stand Me. By me. <laughs> Didn't drop my comb, which is good. <laughs> Um, come on, Chris, you don't really need a comment. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't drop it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the mosquitoes were not nice. Oh. Um, lots of poison ivy, um, lots of things. Uh, but you know what? I figured I'm here in Wisconsin. When's the next time I'm going to be in Wisconsin? You might as well give it a go. Yep. And we happen to, uh, to get very lucky that day. So this is a, a big female, big female. Yeah. Um, she was probably gravid she was definitely she wasn't gravid she was eating well was she basking she was um she was basking in a clearing and um, a friend's son actually spotted her so uh we got some photos and um hopefully she went off and had her babies and um so that was a memorable i I love it you get your photos and the animal you you take some shots and uh the animal just exists and uh you're you're sort of maybe hovering on the animal's periphery of you know they may they may see you they may but you know you're not going in there and uh pinning them or hooking them or any of that just just uh you know in my younger in you know my younger years you know when i'm young and dumb i did some of that sure um i like to think that as you understand more about these animals and you mature as an individual and you sort of evolve yourself um, that you gravitate more towards an appreciation of the animal versus a reflection on you. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they also have a right to exist without, sure. uh, I mean, we do enough damage to them anyway. We're Indeed. Already, yeah. They don't, they don't, they don't need any help. Well, they need help from us. They don't yeah. need any, um, more adversity That's for right. me. One of the best feelings in the world is spotting an animal and photographing it. And it at least not giving any outward sign that it even knew you were there. Gotcha. Um, that's the goal. That's the, yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate goal. If that happens, then I'm, I'm a happy camper. 
Good. So I love, I love those Easter Master Sagas. They, they're just pretty special to me. Snappy little nuggets. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, but what, uh, do you have like a, a crazy rattlesnake story, something crazy that happened to you or out of place or just um, something that blew you away? I don't know that I really have any crazy rattlesnake stories other than, um, and I will keep the, the details brief here. I have been on herping trips where somebody has been bitten. Oh boy. Um, they were not doing any cowboy stuff. They were not doing anything inappropriate. Um, if no other reason, it's a sort of a reminder that when you're out there and you're looking for these animals, you always got to stay on your toes, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, we were in a pretty remote area. So getting to medical attention, um, was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, we got there, um, got medical attention. Thankfully, um, no long-term damage was suffered, but it's a reminder that there are very real things to consider. It's, it's no different from uh, a hiker uh, slipping on a trail, going down the hillside a little bit, and there's a rattlesnake there, and it bites them. Those things happen to people. Absolutely. Uh, they happen, yes. it happen to good herpers who are behaving themselves and minding their own business. It, it still happens. So. You know, I talk to, you know, when I talk to somebody that isn't necessarily into reptiles, and I tell them what I do, one of the questions that invariably comes up is, well, what if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you get bitten by a snake? Are you going to die? And I say, no. Um, well, what do you do? Well, I, you know, get on my cell phone, I dial 911 and, you know, uh, well, what if you don't have cell phone service? Okay, well, then I do my best to get to cell phone service. Yeah. Preferably, I, you know, preferably there's other people that can, that are there with me that yeah. can help in that regard. Um, but in some sense it is, you know, you had mentioned things, you know, that happen while you're in the outdoors. It's no different than falling and breaking an ankle or breaking a leg in some place that's very remote. That's a life-threatening emergency if you're by yourself. Yeah. So there is a certain amount of pre-planning that must be taken into account. Sure. It's just like the lot, you drink a lot of water, wear a long sleeve shirt, I'll have a plan for everything that might happen to exactly. you out there, including possible envenomation. Yes. Possible. And envenomation is one of a long list of things that may happen when you're out there that will, yeah. will pose some risk. Yeah. I um, mean, uh, having a boulder fall and pinning your arm and you have to cut it off with a pocket knife. Uh, <laughs> that's an event. Yes. That's an event. And, <laughs> and I don't know if you can plan for that or not, but uh, those things can happen to people out there. One of the best things that you can do, at least in my, my opinion, if you know you're going to be someplace remote, that's not going to have cell phone service. It's, you know, nobody, there's no other signs of civilization anywhere around. Um, whether you have a spouse, a friend, what have you, tell them where you're going to be and when they, you, they can expect you back. It's a good idea. Um, so as far as, so in the event that you don't return for whatever reason, um, at least, you know, search and rescue has a place to a start. starting point. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's good advice, you know. Uh, and it, we're talking about going major hikes, but I, I know a herper who got bit by a copperhead on the foot while he's taking out the trash, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a laughing matter, but yes, yeah, that happens. I mean, in Arizona, in Arizona, sure. it's, in Arizona, it's, it's not copperheads, it's Western diamondbacks. Right. Those are yeah. the most, the most common species in Arizona is the Western diamondback. And they are successful at colonizing the periphery of human development. Yeah. So these houses that people build up on hills. 
somebody's taking out the trash or going to get the mail from the mailbox and they're wearing their slippers. Yep. Um, and it's early in the morning. Maybe the sun hasn't come up yet. Um, and they didn't bring a flashlight and they step on a snake, you know? Yeah. Um, it's funny, you know, following, um, um, Brian, he uses a company, Rattlesnake Solutions, fi- following him on social media. It's funny, you, you know, you put up a, a potted plant on your front porch or your, or even your back deck or whatever. And, uh, there's a little shady, shady place behind it. Eventually some little, Aatrox is going to post up behind it to get out of the, out of the sun. I would, if I was an Aatrox. Sure. Um, Brian says it all the time and it's a hundred percent accurate. Snakes are a symptom. We're the ones in residential scenarios. We're the ones creating the environment. The snakes are simply responding to the environment that we create. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put so, it. So yeah, if we, if we, create our little garden with lots of shade and water. Maybe we've got pool equipment that's leaking that we haven't fixed or water source, uh, water source. Snakes are essentially looking for food, water, and cover. Yeah. And if we create the environment that has all three of those things, at some point we very well may have a snake. I do the same thing, but for garter snakes. There you go. I, I'm okay. With that one. Our, our venom, our Massasaugas where I live are extirpated. So yeah, that's uh. That's a, yeah, there's such a cool little animal. Um, I was, I was talking with a friend that was in Wisconsin and they actually, from what I understand historically, we've been much, much more prevalent than they are now. Yeah. Um, but for a variety of reasons, whether it's cranberry fields or managing for water. The thing that's emerging for me is, you know, Massasauga conservation does not dovetail with other forms of conservation that states do like for upland game birds or deer, all that stuff is different. They have different needs and different uh, methods and different times of the year to do certain things uh, for those animals than for Massasauga. So uh, a lot of times things get bungled because they're, you know, you're also, you're trying to protect the snake on a land where you're also trying to uh, provide environments for game animals Correct. and, it, and yeah. sometimes it just does not work sometimes so. it doesn't sometimes it does for other species yeah um but when it comes to an animal that overwinters in crayfish burrows it doesn't do them very good to flood out those burrows right uh managing for waterfowl yeah or burning a field in summer right yeah. right so um of course the I, I guess the the tricky part is if you tell people that you're specifically conserving land for a rattlesnake, the re- reaction to that may be much less receptive than if you're doing it for ducks. Right. Yeah, and, and ducks are the, we call them um, umbrella species, right? Because right. you end up preserving a lot of stuff when you preserve the ducks. So right. hats off to like Ducks Unlimited and groups oh, yeah. like that. They do yeah. a great job of uh, protecting a l- long list of wildlife. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you've got a few, you got a few, uh, you got some Mexican, uh, rattlesnakes out of the way. Yes. Um, so I have gotten all of the subspecies of Crotalus willardi with the exception of Meridian Alice. Oh. Um, so I've gotten willardi amabilis, willardi silus, willardi willardi, of course. Yeah. Um, still need, uh, Meridian Alice, uh, went once with uh, our buddy Tim uh-huh. to Durango. And uh, we ended up, uh, it was a perfect day, perfect conditions. Don't know why. Um, we ended up getting one pricey eye. Um, twin spot that, rattle. Yep, twin spotted rattlesnake on that hike, but no Meridian Alice. The heartbreaker was that we cruised that night. 
and we got a big adult male Meridian Alice, very freshly dead oh. on the road. Oh, I hate that. So just hate when that happens. That's yeah. uh, it's a heartbreaker. It happened. Yeah, yeah you know. Um, and you and I got uh, a Mabilis. No, 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 Silas together. We got Silas, Silas together. Yeah, yeah, we got Silas in uh, Southern Sonora. Yeah, um, up in the mountains. Up in the mountains. So Amabilis um, was another uh, Tim Warfel expedition. <laughs> uh, that was a good time. Um, yeah, and then then uh, in Southern Sonora we also got uh, Crowdless uh, Basiliscus. Mexican yeah. West Coast rattlesnake. Yeah. Um, that was fun. Yeah. Um, that whole area, Southern Sonora, is just amazing to me. It's 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 the state that borders Arizona, but it's a large state. So the north is very similar topography-wise um to southern Arizona. Um, but as you go south, it gets more and more tropical. Right. Yeah. So um, So you have this collision zone between the really desert do. and the tropics. Yeah. There. You yeah. really do. The tropical deciduous forest habitat yeah. and stuff. So. Love it down there. Love it down there. Yeah. We'll um, get some cool rattlesnakes. Um, and uh, we get, it's the only place I know where you can get a Gila monster and a beaded lizard. Yes. You can get uh, Heloderma, um, Heloderma suspectum and Heloderma horridum on the same road even. Yes. So fun stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff. Incredible. I love me the big bumpy lizards too. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Which is another reason to uh, enjoy Arizona. So yes, um, Arizona has a lot. To, the The enigmatic coral snake is another one. The Sonoran coral, Sonoran coral. coral snake. Yeah, Microides uh, Urizanthrus. Yeah, Urizanthrus. Wait, Urizanthus. Yes, thank you. I can't. I yeah. can't ever say that word. Yeah, anyway, right. um, I know folks. All that the are, people who speak that language are dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let um, that be a lesson to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thankfully, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> Still alive and kicking. Um, I know people that have been uh, making yearly trips to Arizona for years and years and years and years and have never found one. Um, when you do find one, it's it's interesting. I actually got my lifer in 2007 doing that Gila monster survey I was telling uh -huh. you about. Yeah. Um, and a buddy and I had taken a break. We were hiking up a wash. Um, and then he went up on the side of the wash and I continued down the middle of it. And there's just this candy cane right in the middle of the wash. Nice. And it's got its head down in some rocks, probably looking for some small fossorial snake. So I ended up getting in situs of it, um, which was beautiful. And it, the minute you see it, you're not going to mistake it for anything else in Arizona. It is just such a cool little snake. Uh, I don't have one yet. I, 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 well, I've come on a couple out. DORs. Take care of that. Yeah, I know. It's one of the another you know, one of the laundry lists. That's you know, you know. hey, you know. Um, you know, trail time, buddy, trail time. Trail time. That's what we say <laughs> down here, and it's true there too. Yep. Yeah. Just so, putting in enough time to, to get it. Uh and I have to confess that I don't actually have a a heel a live heel in the United States. All my live helos have been from Mexico. Wow. Okay. Well, well, uh, myself along with a number of my friends can remedy that. Probably a lot easier than a than a coral snake. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, it's just been weird. Some some animals just I have weird histories with. You know, I found a few really heartbreaking DORs, but uh, uh, you know, it's just like you say, trail time and getting it. being out there. So you know, at some point, every dog has his day, and you go out there enough, and your number's going to come up. Do you have a favorite like when you when you uh, you have so many choices out there? Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite mountain range that you like to to go to? I do. Um, I, well, I would have to give you probably top three, uh, for different reasons. 
Okay. Uh, from a diversity standpoint, the Santa Rita's are absolutely gorgeous. Um, I like they that. also have all three of the montane species. They have the Arizona Ridge Nose Rattlesnake, the Twin Spotted Rattlesnake, and the um, Banded Rock Rattlesnake. Yes. Um, they also have uh, cool um, non-venomous, like uh, green rat snakes and Arizona Mountain Kings. So from a diversity standpoint there, it's a super cool range. Um, I enjoy the the white tanks, which okay. are west of Phoenix. Yes. Um, they have a wide variety of things as well. Um, and then my third is probably the, the, probably the, the TAs, um, Tianus Altus, Tianus Altus mountains. Um, those are further West. Those are, yeah, those are about 30 miles East of Yuma. Ah, okay. Um, On the border, near the border. Near the border. Um, you. Near the border with California, I should say. And Mexico for that. And part. Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people. Uh, hit the TAs on a yearly basis, but there's more there than most people think. And it's also one of the places, it's almost beautiful in its desolation. Yeah. So okay. um, if you've never been, um, you won't likely see another place like it in the United States. I'm looking forward to visiting sometime. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like, um, uh, and, and the, a lot of people like the speckled rattlesnakes and that's a big draw yeah. to that yes uh, where do you sit with the speckled rattlesnake one of my favorites yeah one of my favorites they are um one of the most variable probably the most variable rattlesnake species i could show you a blue speckled rattlesnake and we'll go 10 15 miles in another direction and i'll show you a pink one yeah it's funny how they they always they're always um they match the color of the ground or of they the do. mountain, which they is do. amazing to me. And that's a, a nice bit of phenotypic plasticity that is perfect for success. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, I don't know how or why they, but they, it has ecologically worked out for them to match the color of the rocks and the substrate in which they live. That being said, there are some locales that have more variability in terms of color. So there, there are some locales where you can hike up an orangish speck next yeah. to a grayish speck. Right, because there's both kinds of rock colors. Yes, you're right. Um, there are other ones where, you know, if you see a speck, it's going to, for for better or worse, more or less, going to be some shade of blue. Okay. Um, some are going to be light baby blue. Others are going to be darker blue. And, you know, specks run the gamut. Yeah. So. Yeah. They're, and they're, of course, uh, I should also mention, we're talking about the speckled rattlesnake, right? Yeah. Crowless pyrus. Yeah, exactly. We have another speck further south in Baja, the um, uh, Baja speckled rattlesnake or whatever the common name is, uh, Crowless uh, Mitchell-y. Mitchell, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. Uh, which is similar, I think. Uh, to it actually, well, yeah, pirate, both pyrus um, and um, stephensi used to be subspecies. Oh, the uh, Panamint rattlesnake. Panamint rattlesnake. Yeah. We don't have Panamints in Arizona. Not they're not far away, but yeah. they don't they're not native to Arizona. Um but anyway, though they both were at one point subspecies of Crowless Micheli. Okay. Yeah. Um, they've, but they've since been elevated to full yeah, species. Kind of ironed all that out taxonomically, right. I hope. Right. Uh well, for same now. thing in Baja though, you know, that um go down there and some of the white white granite areas and they're nice white ghosty color at yeah. night they look spectacular when you see them yeah they're they're just an awesome species um it's one of my most uh uh consistent targets when i see a new wash or a new mountain range or a new 
um, a new area that I haven't hit yet. Um, I wonder what the specs look like here. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the, uh, a few years ago, I was with some people. We went out to um, uh, out near the Grand Canyon. We were out uh, Crimson Cliffs, Vermilion Cliffs. Vermilion Cliffs. That's it. Oh boy. Uh, I probably need another cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, Vermilion Cliffs, which is out by the Grand Canyon. Gorgeous. Uh, absolutely gorgeous place. A place. And uh, we got uh, what I, you would consider Crotalus abyssus, uh-huh. uh, the Grand Canyon rattlesnake. Yep. And they were just gorgeous little little they beasties are. out they there. Are. They're also very variable as well. When yeah. You, when you go down into the canyon proper, the Grand Canyon proper, they can be very, very pink. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the tributaries, you're going to have yellowish ones, you'll have brownish ones. And so, but they are amazing, uh, amazing snakes as well. Um, and, and the, the nice thing about being on the, you know, on the, or close to the Arizona strip is that you've got cordless lutosis, uh, the great basin rattlesnake. Yes. You've got cordless abyssus, the grand Canyon rattlesnake and, uh, cordless concolor, the midget faded rattlesnake very close together. Why is it midget faded and not faded midget? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, that implies that there's a, a, a midget faded rattlesnake implies that there's a faded, a full size, fa- a full size faded rattlesnake. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think so, we should start a trend. <laughs> so I always thought, you know, maybe faded midget was better, but I, I, I don't know. I, you know what? From now on, <laughs> all you listeners out there, it is now the faded midget rattlesnake. There we go. Okay. <laughs> we started a movement. <laughs> What's interesting actually in that area is um, that is an area where there have been some DNA genetic uh, work done. That's up in north. North. It's, it's the Arizona Strip. It's So the Grand Canyon divides a good portion of Arizona to where you've got a small portion of Arizona up uh, north of the Grand Canyon. Most of the state lies below it. Um, and that strip there is what we call the Arizona Strip. I see. Okay. Um, it's sort of a genetic hodgepodge where the lines of demarcation for species are not at all clearly delineated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mess. It's, a, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, and I know some people that have done some work up there. Um, but there are, are integration zones. And then of course you also have to take into account that, uh, Crotalus viridis occurs closely, uh, the prairie rattlesnake yeah. a close co- occurs close by as well. So there's some genetic influence from some genetic that. influence there as well. So it would be a fascinating project to spend some time up there and just find out exactly what exactly is going on. You have to take a lot of samples, a lot of DNA yes. samples from a lot of different places. Indeed. Yeah. Try to- yeah. And uh, other morphologi- uh, morphological aspects as well, color yes. and size and color, size, scalation, yep. and all that. But yeah, that's just kind of a big mishmash uh, when you get up to that area. It kind of is. Um, you know, you look at an animal and ah, thing looks abyssus, but there's something off about it. Um, or, you know, that's a lutosis, but I, I don't know. I where, don't do you, know. where do you stand on the whole Hopi rattlesnake thing? Is that a, is that a, is the Hopi rattlesnake a real thing? Personal opinion and simply personal opinion. Um, there is no such thing as Nuntius. Nuntius is a defunct subspecies. Protolus Nuntius, the Hopi rattlesnake. Correct. It is is not a thing. It is simply a midget form 
of prairie rattlesnake. I don't know if we can say midget anymore. I don't know if that's the correct term, but yeah. it is a small person form. Okay, a small snake form. Small snakes form of prairie rattlesnake. Prairie. It is so. It's more more prairie than anything else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting, and I, I can't keep all that stuff in my head, but uh, um, but it's fun to find them. You can you can yeah. find something that looks like they're a, cool little spunky snakes. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, they they're actually in 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 certain areas they're almost ridiculously easy to find. Um, you can cruise them, you can hike them. One of the things that always kind of stood out to me in their habitat is that there really aren't any trees. Best you can get is like a creosote. Yeah, you can get some bushes. Um, but for the most part, it's it's uh, sandstone rock formations and things like that. Um, so beautiful country, but um, super cool little snakes. Lots of personality. Um, in terms of... Um... Uh, you know, we all want to. We all would like to see sort of this mess straighten out if we, if it could be, but uh, it's probably not likely in our lifetimes. Um, but uh, so you have you have hopes of finding an eastern and sort of closing that 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 one out. Uh, I really don't have any excuse. Um, I've got far too many friends on the east coast and the Florida yeah. and Georgia areas. You sure do. I need to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to hearing about that. Um, and in terms of uh, other, so you know, you've come down here, you've you've gone to Mexico, obviously a number of times. Have you traveled anywhere else, or you have interest in traveling other places? Um, yes, on both counts. Um, internationally, uh, obviously, uh, I've done a number of trips to Mexico, and back in 2016, did a trip to Costa Rica. And how was that? Fantastic. Did Absolutely. You, did amazing. you get the rattlesnake that occurs in Costa Rica? Did not. Um, we got. Um, we, I think we only ended up spending four or five days of herping, um, or I should say nights of herping. We did a little daytime herping, but for uh -huh. the most part, stuff is out at night. Um, saw fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, did not make it over to the area where the rattlesnake occurs. Okay. Um, so that's on a future, future trip. Internationally, it's been, it's been Costa Rica. It's now Peru, um, and Mexico so far. Okay. All. All near the uh, uh, Western Hemisphere. Yes. Uh, I'd need to get my butt over to the old world, as it were, um, and hit up some Asian countries, and I would love to do Africa. I think you should do Thailand, too. I, I think you would enjoy Thailand. Thailand, Philippines, there's so much out there. Yeah. Um, I've heard so many good things about Thailand. Yeah. Um, and I've seen pictures from yourself and other friends that have gone, you know, they have cobras over there, like real cobras. Yeah. Like how awesome is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother world over right, there, brother. Right. <laughs> All these little arboreal, brightly colored vipers. Like, oh. You know, you're, yeah. you're speaking my language. Yeah. The trimercerus are, they're yeah. pretty special. Uh, I, I added four, five of them to my life list last year over there in Thailand. So I will admit, I was very jealous when you said that you got your life or waggler eye. Oh, yes. Um, that's an animal that, that is a spectacular yeah. snake, yeah. Uh, Tropidolamus waggleri. Yes, um, big f females with gorgeous yellow throats, and the the dorsals are wonderfully covered. And the, the males are these little uh, greenish green, looking, little greenish, yeah, skinny yeah. greenish vipers that are a but third of the size. Right, and they're they're pretty in their own right. They are neat, but yeah. it's the females that steal the show. Yeah, yeah they do. And uh, I did see one male, and I uh, did get to see and photograph. Several big females, uh, nice. some that were within arm's reach that we were, uh, 
because of the terrain, we managed to get close to them. But a couple other ones were way up in the trees and I mm -hmm. had to get some tele, be satisfied with telephoto shots, but uh, nonetheless spectacular. Well, I was jealous, so. That's a good reason to go over yeah, there, so. Um, you know, the king of all snakes, the king cobra sure. is another, uh, another big ticket item. Yep. I've always had a thing for uh, gaboon vipers. So I would okay. love to hike out a, a, a gaboon Uganda viper and yep, Uganda yeah. or, um, you know, and it's, it's, so that's a, that's a, that's a dream as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a quite a bit of international traveling and herping that I plan to do in the future. Good. Good. Well, I'm glad you're down here with us. Cause, uh, I'm always glad when my friends come down and for the first time and, uh, enjoy themselves down here. So yeah, yeah. I, this will not, this is the first time, but it will not be the last. All right. Very good. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to thanks me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah. It's been, it's been too while. long since we got to sit down and chat. It has. And I feel like, uh, I feel, um, I feel good about have, us having done so. so. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I sure like recording these origin stories down in Peru. You know, everyone is just uh, pumped up and they're ready to chat. And uh, once again, thanks to Justin and Grayson and Chris. I really enjoyed our conversations, and it was great hanging out with you guys for a couple weeks down there. So I'm happy to get this one out before I head back down to the rainforest on Sunday night, and uh, maybe I'll get a few more interviews done while I'm down there. Uh, either way, I've got a few great episodes already lined up for when I return in mid-February, so we'll just keep this juggernaut bouncing right along. And thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for episode 93. Another origin story is in the bag. And thanks once again to Justin Coburn, Grayson Getty, and Chris Haas for talking with me. And I want to thank Justin Coburn a second time for his generous donation. And as always, I want to say thanks to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And uh, if you would like to help kick in a few bucks, it's easy to do. And it costs about as much as a cup of delicious coffee. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pingle. And so much pingle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to somuchpingle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at somuchpingle.com. And you can join the So Much Pingle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. I say it every time, but I do like hearing from folks. Your thoughts, opinions, guest suggestions, whatever you got. Uh, you can email me at somuchpingle at gmail.com and so much pingle is all one word. And uh, please note that I am also on Instagram and Mastodon and Blue Sky now, all under the So Much Pingle handle. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves and don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>